Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, you're listening to RS1, I'm John Hindorf and this is Series 13, Episode 26 of Midweek Motorsport. Uh, no Tim Gray tonight, he's still on assignment uh, for that soccer tournament that's going on, uh, which by the way means that we've probably got nobody listening in England, or very few, and certain parts of Scandinavia is probably blanked out uh, as well at the moment, but for the rest of the world... Uh, or those for those of you whose teams have already been knocked out, my commiserations and welcome to the show. On a packed programme tonight, we have, well, I'd like to say all the usual features, but I'd be lying. Uh, we, have got, we have got some of our usual contributors. Shea Adam is somewhere in Canada and we're going to try and get in touch with her if the string can be pulled tight enough. Second hour of tonight, that'll be towards the end of uh, the first hour tonight. In the second hour this evening, Declan Brennan will join us. Um, not sure where Declan is. He was picking up a car last week when we spoke to him when I was at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. And, of course, that's what we're talking to Shea about. We've got all kinds of things to talk with Declan about as well. We're trying to line up another guest as well, but uh, as he's on a very different time zone, I'll give you an update on that when we get to half time uh, Nick Damon joining us as well in a few moments time uh, after we kick off the show with I'm afraid some very sad news that William Dunlop the Northern Irish road racer died after a crash during practice for the Scurries 100 in County Dublin uh, William was only 32 years old uh, one of the Dunlop dynasty of motorcycling greats and a multiple winner of the Northwest 200 and the Ulster, Ulster Grand Prix he had missed the Isle of Man TT because his partner Janine uh, was uh, having problems with her pregnancy last month and was getting back into his racing uh, this week, this past week. Uh, a big loss to the motorcycling community. The Dunlop family is large and their connections are large and wide. And William has a lot of friends in a lot of places on both two and four wheels. Of course, our thoughts are with all of the family and his partner and, of course, everyone who knew him. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Our top story tonight of course, is all about Formula One, the British Grand Prix at the weekend, and we can't talk about that without our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Yay! Do you know, so I just gently faded him down while he was doing that. Uh, lots to talk about here. Yes. Um, yes. And I, want to st- I want to start talking about something that has nothing to do with the race at Silverstone, right? Fair enough. So, 
has Charles... Sorry, are you Tim in disguise? <laughs> well, no, no, This it is Formula One, though. It's not like I'm going to oh. magically switch to Northern Europe Formula Renault 1600 or something. Okay. Um, uh, has Charles Leclerc signed for Ferrari or not? First question. A really good question. I think what's happening here is that a number of people are now pretty damn convinced he is going to sign. Right. And they've decided to say he is going to sign. So when he does sign, they can say, as exclusively revealed by me in, in June right. or July. Right. I think there's an assumptive element. And I think, you know, there is there is certainly a situation where Kimi Raikkonen appears to be driving for his job or slash any job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he may have been given that you've got three races to prove yourself. You know, I, I, I don't think he's done it. I'm very surprised if anything would actually get formally sorted out until – after the summer break for the simple reason they don't need to hmm. he's under con- they're both under contract to them and they both don't want to go anywhere else so why would you jump early just you have no need to you know who knows what might happen Leclerc might have a sudden dip in three races Raikkonen might suddenly get you know discover the former 2002 it doesn't it doesn't you know it's all very well if you're trying to snap up someone who's in demand no one else is allowed to sign Charles Leclerc Kimi wow. Raikkonen is not going to choose McLaren over Ferrari no. so you know, it, it, sometimes you just have to look at the basic reasoning behind this and go, lovely idea, nice story. I'm sure, Mr. Journalist, you want to say as exclusively revealed, but you're not really telling us anything that doesn't know. We, you know and that, that's where it is. Uh, th- there's no chance of, of there being a mid-season change either. That was talked no. about, but I, I mean, I, I just don't see that happening. I, I mean, it, a lot of people seeing that there's an agreement being entered into um well he's all as you said the point is here charles leclerc is already contracted to ferrari yeah there's already an agreement he's a ferrari junior driver they've paid for his career they placed him at salva there's yeah this is, they're trying to make out this is like you know you know barry smith who's currently driving him f2 and has uh, 37 <laughs> options it's not he's, he's a great driver he's da- he's in a, a a you know a junior plan it's up to them when they promote. You know, yeah, there is the option of doing a halfway house promotion to Haas, but in fairness, the way Sauber improving this, year, I'm not even sure that'd be a particularly good idea either. So you kind of go, no, it's. it's I mean, I think it, it would make every sense for them to promote him, and um, they are naturally conservative. So I think they want to see three or four. You know, he did start with two ropey races, and he's since had well eight pretty good races. So the most of the doubts are gone. But give it three or four. You don't have to. You've, you've got no. You are holding all. All the cards. You don't yeah. need to worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and undoubtedly now it'll be announced whilst we're on air or tomorrow. Uh, that's the way it normally. Well, it normally happens. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the normal thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, if, it's, if it's announced while we're on the air tomorrow, uh, sorry, while we're on the air today, uh, basically there no one in England is going to listen anyway. And if it's announced tomorrow, we'll either be too drunk or too disappointed to care. Yeah. Um, yes, nobody in UK, in, in England or in Sweden will get it. Uh, and and the, the above is uh, is valid for both. Um, right, let's let's get to Silverstone uh, first of all. I obviously was watching whilst outside of the country, although saw the UK coverage, uh, of course. Uh, Silverstone has never looked so brown, ever. That's true. Uh, I thought... I thought when I first tuned in, I thought, oh, hang on, I've got the guys down in Portugal. Oh, that's what I'm, oh, no, that really is Silverstone. Uh, Looked look like a good crowd. Uh, people were having a good time. Um, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed, after qualifying, no one taking any notice whatsoever of what was going on on the track or the interviews because they were all watching the beat screen for the quarter final. Yes, um... which was very funny. Um, ultimately, 
um, in any other race, in any other, at any other time, having started off effectively at the back and coming home to get second, Lewis Hamilton would be happy. But he's not going to be happy, is he? No, no. I think there's been a lot of chatter. Um, it's very interesting. Do you remember? I can't remember where it was. It was probably, it might have even been two or three years ago before Lewis was actually winning things again with, with, with Mercedes. It might have been during the first year he was winning about why is Lewis the most divisive character in F1? And, and we've postulated a number of things. F1, there's one word that no one likes to mention, even though it's the major reason he's divisive. But so I'll say it, racism. Um, but there are people who True. don't like his attitude. Yep. Um, and there are people who, who, who don't like anybody. But, you know, if you look at the... Well, there's also, and, there's also a great British, particularly, tradition of building somebody up and then when they actually get good, uh, trying to knock oh, them off the pedestal. And they never did that with Nigel, did they? And he was a far more difficult character in real well, life than Lewis has ever been. Well, that's um, yeah, uh, um, yes, true. Having had to interview Nigel and Damon, funny enough, when they were at their statement, yeah. uh, not, never surprised to hear when he came out in his autobiography and said he he had suffered from from uh, mental issues. Very brave, a very good biography, uh, autobiography. Sorry, but he was a schizophrenic character. Mm. Race weekends, pain in the backside. Out of race weekends, loveliest bloke in the whole country. Mm. It was a switch. That he, I think he needed to flick that switch to get to the competitive level he needed to be with Michael Schumacher, or right. trying as close as he could. But he was a complete switch, you know. The, but anyway, back to Lewis. So Lewis, um, so a divisive you know, character, and one of the reasons I think I think what you were going to say was one of the reasons that he's a divisive character is um, the way he whinges on on the radio. Yeah, and I think the way he wears his heart on his sleeve, um, and I think you know he is, you know he he totally admits, you know that he was, you know, he was, it means so much to him to do well in, in the UK. He, you know, he was positively shaking after the qualifying run. He obviously most publicly didn't bother talking to Martin Brundle uh, in the Park Ferme area, and, and instead went to sit down, stating he was just too tired after the comeback drive. I'm again not totally sure about that. I think he was kind of composing his thoughts slightly because I think he was absolutely completely livid i think it's it's a situation where as you quite rightly say john if this was the uh oh let's say next week the german grand prix and he got punted off by raikkonen and fought back to second he'd effectively go yabu sucks to you for taking me off i still beat you ha 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 mm. um whereas here he was looking at conspiracy theories he was he was upset he was you know not you know and it took him a whole day to calm down well before we get into that here's the question could he have still won the race had Mercedes once again not been absolutely rubbish on their tactics with Bottas. They left Bottas out on tyres that were never going to make it to the end, so he couldn't defend against Vettel. I mean, I could have passed Bottas. You don't really know that. I mean, this this is the, this is, I think, I mean, I think that was a pretty reasonable strategy given that they were, they were two laps off having a great strategy because, um, they ended up second and fourth. Um, they probably could have been second and third. And that's from starting the race in second and 18th. Mm. So that's not... And the, and the correct driver for the World Championship head of the, of the other driver. And, you know, I, I don't think that was a bad result. I think you, sometimes you can mistake, you know, taking a punt with a bad decision. And I yeah, think the, okay. the fact is that no one knows how long these tyres are going to last. This is the point. Everyone seems to think they've got a little tick sheet. They're going, right, so your tyres are going to last 26 laps. Finally, and some unpredictability. 
Yeah, you know, they don't know. And the fact is that Lewis went, you know, his, his tyres were only four laps younger, but his tyres were even five, three laps, four laps after he'd overtaken Valtteri. There was no sign of the drop-off that Valtteri had. No. So again, it's it's so many, you know, let's go back to the previous race. Um, Max Verstappen got a pair of tyres which were a bit bit blistery the whole way through those 55 laps because he was out in front and able to control it. Whereas Lewis, because he, he came back out in traffic and overheated them, had completely ruined them in... 18, 19 laps. If Lewis had gone out in the lead in Austria, he would not have had to change the tyres because you can just rescue the whole thing. They are, you know, quite delicate, as we know, to overheating. Mm. But when you're chasing, you have to chase at full wax. So I think people like to jump on a bandwagon. Mercedes definitely made a mistake last week. This week, no, they didn't make a mistake. They had to. You have to make judgment calls as well. Right. And the real problem is hindsight is always twenty twenty. We've said before that the person who is most likely to beat Lewis is Lewis. Um, as, he was, well, uh, as, he, as Lewis was charging back through the field, uh, making up eight positions in six laps, all he did was tell everybody how bad his car was and that the floor was damaged and he couldn't possibly drive it. Uh, mm. And I, I did think all those drivers that he was passing as if they were chained to a post, or, albeit in some places DRS assisted, but the way he was able to drag back to them and make up the time i'm sure they would like a car that was as badly damaged as lewis's to to run the full race as well <laughs> yeah well you know his car wasn't damaged let's be honest about this the car wasn't damaged but you know you've been punted off on a, a wheel-to-wheel impact you are obviously you've started the race you're at maximum adrenaline you have let's be honest made a hash of it and you should have been in third place and right. wondering what to do next which i'm pretty certain is going straight past about terry bottas because i'm sure they wouldn't have held him up and then seen what he can do about um fettle he was let's you know, and I'm not Vettel's biggest fan, but he was brilliant last week. Weekend, even Absolutely with brilliant. his stiff um, neck. I mean, he was a bit whingy as I've well. Pro- oh, I've, I've got I've, a stiff neck. Yeah, well, I've tr- I've, I remember driving down to Portsmouth when, when I cricked my neck, and that was a nightmare. That was in a road car, so I don't think I want to go around Silverstone for. I mean, admittedly, I hadn't got 17 mass suits on me, which would have been quite pleasant. But uh, you know, um, it's you know, it's it, you know, so 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 that would be what happened. But as it was, he got punted off by Reich, and when he'd been hit hard as he had been, you are under the impression that most F1 cars are going to have some problems. It was, it was he was hit directly on the tyre, which is why it spun around, and in fact he didn't have any problems. But you're going to feel the problems for a start. One of your tyres is going to be, the tyres are going to have dirt in them for a couple of laps, and, and they're going to go back up to temperature again, and you're racing in dirty air, and it's not what you've done before. So, so I think, the thing is, I think the biggest problem we have, and I, and I think you've touched on this before, is we have FOM, FOM have written a narrative about all the drivers, and they write that narrative through radio the radio messages so lewis's radio messages which are a conversation with his engineer they're not the public broadcast correct yeah are interpreted as whingy yes i don't see any whinging actually in the attitude of the car he says i need to do this i need to do that what are you going to do how can we do this what are we going and you have to remember if you're actually talking on a radio to an engineer at 200 miles an hour you can't go could you Please, really, do us a favour and possibly... It's like, can you do that? You have to be short, sharp and precise, both ways, yeah? Mm-hmm. And the engineer's job is also to calm down the driver and give them as much... So, and I don't think necessarily... We, we seem to want to judge radio messages by this by you know the same as it was a conversation over, over a high tea, you know, in the 18th century. It's not the same. You know, the narrative that, that Grosjean always, always whinges. I'm pretty sure if you took 
all the 2,000 messages that, that Roman Grosjean has issued to the Haas team over the past couple of years, 1,980 would have been pretty dull and, and neutral, but they've managed to play out all the ones which play to that character. Yes. And again... Well, but that's, that's what it's all, this is all very big, big Brother, and by that I mean the TV show, not uh, the uh, Orwellian concept. Um, because, you know... All of this, oh, this is just, we're taking a look at a slice of life. This is reality television. Uh, this is reality racing. We're just, that's not true. As you rightly say, and as I've said many times, someone has to make the decision of what to, uh, what to broadcast and what not to broadcast. And that there has to be some kind of editorial narrative that support, that yep. is being supported. I mean, and people had a go at him because, because obviously, you know, you know and, and he is he is a nice punch bag, and, and because he's got this this divisive side, people like to have a go at him for you know for, for anything really. And I've never quite understood it. I mean, you know, he, you know, he's not a saint. He's not, but then again, he's not a sinner either. But you look at things like, um, you know, when the last weekend in, in in Austria, when they did muck up the strategy, and he went, "All oh, right, what am I doing fourth here?" What yes. he's basically doing is having a conversation with the team, which obviously sounds a bit edgy i'll be really honest with you i've been punted out of an rc race from like first to fifth and i've been livid and if i had a radio i'd have been going beep beep beep, beep. what the hell's beeping going on here what happens there i've been beeped out by someone you know and that's at a club meeting in milton Keynes church hall so if i'm trying to win f1 world championship and these things happened you've got a right to be annoyed but suddenly you get judged by this ridiculous polite society like you've almost got to say in a my honorable friend appears to have punted me in the backside you know it's it's that's not how it works these guys are incredible athletes operating at the top of their abilities and then they've got to be polite you know um it's 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 ridiculous and i don't and i don't think and it and actually actually has a very positive thing for liberty media either in their attempts which they want to do is build these guys into gladiators and heroes well you know let's be heroes honest and it. villains mate heroes and villains yeah, well, white hats and black hats but, that's what plays but why do you want to make a villain out of the person who you know who's indisputably over a lap the fastest driver you've got yeah you know, and why? You know, and it's the same thing. Why? You know, you know, getting onto my high horse again. Why do we want to make a hero out of the person who's the most awkward person in the paddock? What's 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 that about? What's the public perception? Why? Who's writing these stories? Now, I think the problem is, is that I'll tell you who is writing these stories. It's the it's the relatively lowly. No, it's not fair. The relatively inexperienced people within FOM, and they are mostly inexperienced, who are reading the Reddit and the subreddits and, and the and the chats, and they're picking up, well, that's what he's popular, he's not popular, what should we do? You know, let's be honest at the moment, we've got this current thing, and I, I, you know, I'm not, not going to deny it, that, you know, Charles Leclerc is is the coming man, Roman Grosjean is about to get fired, and, you know, and, and uh, Magnussen takes no prisoners, and it's really, you know, and that's, and they'll play out anything that meets with that with that message, you know, but they won't. Yeah, you because know, they're making these stories about people. You know, you know, I do feel sorry for some of the drivers, you know, because they haven't actually got a story about them. Yeah, you know, they they have no story. You know, since Ocon and Perez stopped hitting each other, no one cares about them. Um, you know, and it's it's it's. I mean, I I do get the concept. I don't get the execution. Uh, let's talk. I, I don't disagree with any of that. And one, and one little thing, you Go know, on. everyone thinks Lewis is whatever he is, but he was a bloke who went down, who got his, his team to go down the shop by beer and food and everything else got in a transit van and delivered it to the marshal's camp yeah and there were, there were all right we've all seen that on social media because it was posted by the marshals yes. and the fans he didn't take a camera there he wasn't no. wearing any logo kit either no he wasn't i noticed that so that was just him him trying to give something back and, and the problem is that if you then saw that be 
50% of the people are going, oh, publicity stand. Oh, no, no. You know, he, he really can't win. And I do feel very sorry for him. I think, you know, I'm not a fanboy because I can see his faults as well. But I suppose I do have that British thing of when I see people being unfairly persecuted, it's, you know, I think that's ridiculous. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Good to have your company. It's Series 13, and this is episode number 26. Nick Diamond is uh, on the line for us this evening talking Formula One, British Grand Prix, and... Uh, I'm sorry it sounds so negative, but I am going to start. I'm going to go with another negative story here. Um, Williams, oh my goodness, uh, that circuit really, really showed up the difficulties of trying to drive a car with an aerodynamic balance. Uh, Lance Stroll, whatever anybody thinks about him, um, I mean, I felt sorry for for both of them, um, but Lance within a couple of minutes of the start of of Q1 had mm-hmm. a horrible wiggle ends up in the gravel track of Brooklands mm-hmm. and a couple of laps later Sorotkin going down into store another fast corner where you're trailing your brakes into it has exactly the same accident except spins the other way and ma- manages to get out of it that car is horrible at high speed and trying to corner and brake together it's i mean it's just horrible They've got aero stall, so you've got downforce, 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 nothing, and that's what happens. Then you, you know, it, it, it'll shut, you know, because the, as you know, basically a a, a racing car, an F1 car, is an upside down plane wing, and you get to a certain point, and if, if, if a wing stalls, you know, the plane falls out of the ground. Well, if an air, if a car stalls, it suddenly loses all its rear grip. Mm. Um, I the worrying thing for that is that was their that was their new kit attempting to fix the problem. Um, yeah. So, that, so that's the reason they started both the cars from the pit lane, which is quite spectacular because because Perez, of course, swung across their their bows as they came out of the pit lane uh, after the first lap incident. Um, despite that, that was um, you know they, they had a the, the fix. They had to go and stop the pit lane because they had to go and change the parts back again. The bits they, which was being rubbish weren't quite so dangerous. Um, it's an interesting situation. They fired many people as they can fire at the moment. They obviously they they haven't employed really anybody, and they need to. Uh, so they need to make changes. So who knows? But it's 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 not getting any better. Um, and at this point, I'm not even I'm not even convinced you had a magnificently expert driver in there that it really helped very much either. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing is the whole thing is just disastrous. Um, I mean, we t- we talked at length about McLaren's uh, potential and that their downward spiral. Um, and we've mentioned this before. But, I mean, where are Williams going? Surely the, the, the now they've just got to give up on this year's car and start cracking on with next year's car. But they've, they're losing their major sponsor. Um, Lance Stroll not necessarily staying there with his money. Ditto Sorotkin. They could be in some real trouble here, Nick. And, and it's just not getting any better. Yeah, and, and, and they, I don't think they really know what the problems are, which is the key point. Um, yeah, I mean, they are going to have a massive financial black hole. They're going to finish lower down the construction championship they thought they were going to do. Martini are disappearing. Um, I don't think Lance Stroll's got anywhere else to go because if he wants to stay in F1, that's the only job for him. There aren't any other um, purchasable drives available, really, possibly Force India, but they're, any, they're also in dire financial straits. So they might not be around next year either. So it's, it's, it's a fine pan fire situation. 
Um, so you kind of turn around and you think, mm, what are you going to do? Sorokin must be really chuffed with his, was it 15 million quid he spent on that? That's, you know, I suppose he can turn around and go, I'm Russia's second, sorry, Russia's third F1 driver, and that's about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a horrible story that's not getting any better. And it's not, and at this point, how is it going to improve? Yeah, exactly. You know? that, that's my worry. That's my worry, Nick. How are they going to, how are they now? Because, you know, if, if, if I'm Claire Williams or their commercial director, I'm pitching for a new title sponsor for next year and I've got nothing to work with. I can't no. tell you who our drivers are going to be. Uh, I can't show you anything that, that looks anything decent from this year. All I can say is next year's can't be better. Um, I think, I mean, and this is, this is going to sound quite cruel, this is not in any way based on gender, but I don't think nepotism worked very well in that particular situation. I think Frank passing it on to Claire was not a good move uh, as a team as a team principal. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, for a while we thought Jonathan was going to, might be involved until things happen that didn't happen. And Claire comes out of the background, and 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 just because you are related to the to the to the man who was the boss, I don't think it's a role. You know, there's things like basic mistakes, like you know that that showing an email on the high definition screen last week and that sort of thing. You know, it's it's and then please, no one say this is me having a go at Claire because firstly, I thought Manisha Carlton Board was a fantastic in principle in very difficult circumstances. Mm. I just don't think she's the right person. I, I would say, I'm not criticising for gender. I'm criticising for promotion, promotion on the back of her surname. Okay. Uh, let's fi- tell me who had a good weekend then. Sebastian well, Vettel. Sebastian Vettel had a great <laughs> weekend. Um Having been, a, a, I mean, he's had two very good weekends back to back, hasn't he? From, I think, as we said last week, from thinking he was having a, a, a penalty applied that took him out of the world championship to now being uh, on 171 points, whereas Hamilton is on 163. I mean, he'd have taken that. He'd have snatched that with both hands a couple oh, yeah, of I weekends mean, ago. You know, Mercedes were the architects of their own destruction uh, last week, and this week it was his teammate. So, you know, well done, Kimmy. You know, you know. Uh, by the way, I don't in any way think any of these accidents are deliberate. I think he's oh, just no, one of those no, no, situations. No. Where, you know, they're stupid, and you know, and 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 I don't think you know. I, I people say, oh, you know, Kimmy got ten seconds and Sebastian got five. Well, that was because they got Sebastian's penalty wrong. Because the fact is, Sebastian completely destroyed Valtteri Bottas's race because he did destroy the floor, so he couldn't, yeah, so he couldn't get up to his natural top six position. Whereas, you know, Lewis had to run through the track. If, if you think about it, but if, if but I don't, I, I'll be honest with you, Nick. I don't think the concert. You, you can't. I, I don't think you should be even trying to judge. A penalty. If you if there's avoidable contact and you are assigning incident responsibility uh, in no, any I've, form of motor racing, you, know, you can't no. say, "Well, it deserves a stop in one minute because you knocked a wheel off," rather than it deserves a stop in five seconds because you just spun around a little bit. What I would do with that, what I would do with Raikkonen is I would let him carry on and I would give, and I would tell him, "Right, next Grand Prix, you start 18th because you've made Lewis start 18th." Yes. So it's an equal penalty. You punted him down. He had to carry on from 18th. He will start the next Grand Prix from 18th regardless. I like that. I like that. Because that's, that's what you've done. Yes. It's, you know, it's, it's like that's, that's, the, that's what you've caused. You know, and for Fettel, Fettel punted off um, Valtteri. And after he, he, he picked up his tyre, he was dead last. Right, you start dead last. In fact, you start from the pit lane. Because that's where Valtteri had to start. Because if you're a mistake. Yes. 
no, and, no, and, that's that, fine. And, and that way we have evened it up. All right, there's, there are obviously ups and downs. Obviously, starting last in Monaco is significantly worse than starting last at uh, at Silverstone, but that's the luck of the draw. But that way, you know, people say, oh, "Well, hang on." So if I punt someone off, I lose 15 places next race. Well, you might lose five. Depends where they rejoin. So don't punt them off so hard. People would sit in their heads going, "Because a five-second penalty, in many ways, you know, if, if you were thinking in a Machiavellian format here, in any of the tracks where it's hard to overtake, if you've got yourself out of position, punting someone off and losing five seconds, 22 laps later, is a good move." Yes. If you can yes. do it, which is hard for one car because you most likely break the car as well. But you know, that's what you know. Let the punishment fit the crime. So let the punishment equal the crime. Yeah. All right. No, I'll buy that for a dollar. I that actually, that, actually quite that like that. That would never that. happen, but, that's, because it's, but, but I still think that's a much better idea. No, <laughs> I, I actually really quite like that. I really do. So Vettel had a decent race. In fairness, other than the first or the second corner, I thought Kimi Raikkonen had a decent race. Uh, Bottas, always hard to tell. He was slightly stymied. I, I, I do think Valtteri, as, as, as more of the season is completed, I, I've got to say... I do think Valtteri slightly got the wrong uh, end of a stick that has some faecal material on it. Um, yeah. And uh, because he is being used tactically for Lewis. And I know it's a team game, but, you know, he's now slipped down to fifth in the championship behind Ricciardo uh, and, and Raikkonen. Um, all right. He's still got, he's still when, getting good points. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Tell me, tell me when, that's, when this has happened then. When has he been used tactically for Lewis? Well, I think he was at the weekend. I don't. I think they thought it was. They thought, I think they thought the tyres last week to stay ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, um, Max Verstappen. Reason he's down where he's down is because it's just a sheer bad luck. You know, being punted off, punctures, and everything else. So no, I, I, I'm not saying that the Mercedes won't be, won't begin to favour him. But I, I haven't, I haven't really seen any favouritism so far. Right. May well happen. Hasn't happened so far. Uh, Verstappen is sixth in the championship now on 93 points and then there's a big gap back to everybody else. Uh, well, Verstappen's race? Did you notice that the, after the restart, okay, I haven't got the thing in front of me, but after 12 laps, the guy in seventh, who was Hulkenberg, was like 22 seconds behind. Yeah. The two tiers of the top six and the rest is remarkable. Yeah. Uh, it is absolutely astounding that those cars are a second and a half lap faster than everybody else. Well, I, I mean, I noticed as well, in fairness, just going back to Hamilton and what a good drive that was from Hamilton and how Mercedes still have a significant advantage, particularly at tracks like Silverstone. Even when Hamilton was coming back through the field, at one stage he went to nearly 30 seconds behind the leader and he pulled that back even when he was passing people to about 21, 22 seconds. He was taking sometimes eight tenths, seven tenths out of Vettel, who was in clear air at the front of the field. Well, yeah, the thing is about that is he's also he's using the engine mode to do that, and Vettel already would be turned down because he knows yeah that's the whole thing. You see, managing tyres, turn the engine down. If you're going hell for leather, those cars, don't forget all those cars, which when they start the race, all those cars could can do. A lap time within about three and a half seconds of pole, right. uh, adjusting for the weight of the fuel. The only problem is they all do t- lap times eight seconds off pole because they're adjusting for tyre wear and everything and turning the engines down. So there's a lot in reserve in most of those cars if they want to have a storming run through the field. The problem they've got, of course, is they've worked out the cooling for the car running less power and everything else. So it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. But there's a, they're all sitting with an awful lot in hand. You know, I'm pretty sure that Lewis probably, if it hadn't been for those two late um, safety cars, would have had to do some fuel saving at the end. But luckily, because of the safety cars, that solved his problem because he was absolutely on, you know, full maximum usage to get back to the field. 
you know, and that's all you can do. Then he then got himself back to sixth, became fifth after the, after Kimmy's penalty or before the, his, Kimmy's pit, his pit stop. And then you said, right, we've got, we're going to go. Let's see what happens next. And then they got a little bit of help with the the safety cars and uh, you know and got to second. Uh, what what happened with Verstappen again? Remind me. Uh, he had a fly a fly by wire, a brake by wire problem, put into a spin, and then, then that oh, yes, tried right. clutch. Yes, but it, it's. Unfortunately, he, yeah, he, I think he was fifth at the time, but he'll get a new gearbox and everything else, so it's no, and no penalty, so it's fine. Uh, well, it's not fine. Lost a few points. It, it's the Grand Prix of uh, Germany next. That's at Hockenheim. Yeah. Got a whole week off, though. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Hockenheim, what sort of track is that? Is that a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a Red Bull track? We've been there two years, have we? It's in every other year track, so who knows? Because two years ago, Mercedes was in a very different place than they are this year, as far as the competitiveness of everyone else was concerned. Could so, that be a Red Bull track? It's quite a high downforce track for, uh, you know, it's short, it's twisty no, in places. it's got that huge long run into the hairpin, which is the one overtaking place. Right. So it's going to be a power track. Um, the stadium section is quite open. I think I think Red Bull won't have the same problems they had, well, as many of the same problems they had here. Um, no, I think I think it should be a very open open thing, and it's very very difficult to tell. I mean, on a, on a, you know, even at the end of this this weekend, it was very hard to tell who was better out of Ferrari and, and Mercedes. and it's, it, it, Yeah, and I think it, it'll be a very even track again in, in Hockenheim. The question will be when we get to Hungaro Ring, which, which should be a Ferrari track, it's slow and twisty and turny, whether it is. Right. By that, I mean a Ferrari track in comparison to Mercedes. We do know that, that Red Bull will do well there. Right. Because, you know, it looks like things are changing and people are bringing new stuff all the time. So, I don't know. It's, and, of course, the thing about Hockenheim is that they, they've put in a, a, a double step on the tyres. So you've got... a a soft tire, an ultra soft tire, and then a soft. There's no super soft. So people are having to work out how the hell they're going to qualify and then to get the car to go around more than three laps in the race. So uh, should okay. be interesting. Right before we leave Formula One and do a bit of Superbike, um, mm-hmm. I would like to talk about 2021. Um, yeah. Okay. In... Well, I'm, I haven't got my diary yet. Right. Okay. Get it out. Um, it looks like the this new super duper. FIA and Formula One series engine um, parameters, including the MGU-H disappearing, which were announced last year now, wasn't it? October sometimes, sometimes like that. It seems Um, like about 10 years ago, but yeah, go on. (laughs) um, Well, apparently last week's strategy group meeting, the manufacturers have kicked it into touch. Well, no. What? Well, yes and no. Uh, what has happened is, is that the the idea was the FIA said, look, and uh, and and Liberty, we need more engine competition and more manufacturers involved. And the problem we've got is these engines are unbelievably complicated and unbelievably expensive. You know, look how long it's taken Honda to get there. Honda are almost there after four years. They're not quite there, but you know, almost there after four years. Uh, and they went, oh well, they go, well, no, no, no. We got these, these cheap versions. Then we're going to get VAG Group, one of their, one of their many, who knows who, Porsche. Well, no, it's Porsche. It's, Por- yeah, it's and, Porsche. And, Porsche have been at all the meetings. And we'll get Aston Martin, and we'll get somebody well, else. That, now you see now. Now I, I'm not sure Aston Martin will come because oh. um, uh, Red uh, Red Bull have got. Uh, well, Honda, haven't they? Again, again. So things change. Uh, Red Bull have become a works team, so a lot of the whinging has stopped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't think who that be whinging, can you? No. Um, and what actually, in a, very, in a very fair point, actually, is that Mercedes, Ferrari, Honda, and um, Renault have turned around and gone to them. You know, these people who are going to join with the cheap engines and FA go, yes. Who are they? And the FA have gone. Uh, um, 
No, oh, so a very valid point we made. Why are we developing brand new engines to attract new manufacturers when no new manufacturers want to come in? Yes. When we can actually save money by just, just staying going on with, with what you've engines. got. Yeah. And what we'll do, uh, we'll, we'll, we agree, we'll run a bit more fuel, so we'll have a bit more power, and we'll make them a bit noisier. But, yeah. but everything else stays the same. So our investment is, you know, hyper levels less. And I think it's an argument which was irritating to the FI and Liberty Media, it's a very difficult argument to argue against. So you want to develop a completely new engine to for what? And if it is true, and we all know how reticent the VAG group is to commit to F1 in any in any shape or form, especially at the moment as they're constantly being fined for things. Well, however, but, however, though Porsche are the right team, a right brand from them to do that. That yes, is yes, absolutely the right brand, not Audi, yeah, but Porsche. No, absolutely. But the, the the thing is that you know they 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 haven't actually pressed the go button, and they aren't in a position to press the go button because of all the surrounding issues they have. You know. Am I so, right in thinking, Nick? If we cast our minds back, way back in time, if this was a television uh, series, the the wiggly lines, yes, yes all wavy lines, as we nip back in time, weren't VW involved in all the? Um, machinations yeah. before the current set of regulations came out. They wanted yeah. a 1.6. Um, yeah. They wanted a 1.66 cylinder, didn't they? Yeah, that's what we've got. Oh, did they want a two liter? They wanted. I think they wanted the 1.64. Four. I think, that's right. But, yes. Um, but Ferrari insisted it was V6. Yeah, which is fair enough. Uh, but because they wouldn't commit again, it comes down to it. The fact is, the people who actually been who have we oddly we now have if we had Cosworth. We'd have the five manufacturers who made the biggest commitment historically ever to providing power to F1. And Cosworth do have an engine design on, on the books. But the other four, if you take Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault and Honda, they are the four companies who have historically, from 1950 to, to now... Been the manufacturers right. involved in this? Well, who else has been? Name me someone else been involved for any length of time. Well, Lamborghini, a couple of years. Porsche, about four years. Honda started in sixty, what sixty six? A couple of a few years came out, and then came back again with um, yeah, for, uh, McLaren, and then they were Mugen Honda for a number of years. You know, they they Renault from nineteen seventy. Obviously, Ford is the Cosworth link, but yes, it was yeah. it was Ford, wasn't it? So, and then Mercedes have been in obviously till nineteen fifty five, and then of course they came back again with with McLaren have been ever in ever since it's nineteen. I don't know. Five, four, six, six. Peugeot um, had a little dalliance as well, didn't they? About four years, yeah. But that's it for about four years. And, you know, so you actually have the people who have point. committed to F1. Yeah. So, you know, unless we're trying to get Cosworth in, I'm not really bothered, to be honest. Well, Cosworth, it doesn't... I'll tell you now, if Cosworth come in, that'll be rebranded as Aston Martin. But but yeah. the only team that that would be of interest to for Aston Martin would be Red Red Bull because they've got the technical partnership with them already. And now that they're a Honda Works team, I think that's less likely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we've now got, we've now got, you see, what, what we're going to end up with is what was mooted by you and I, I believe, way back in about Series 2 when things were going horribly wrong after the 2008 crash, about blocks of teams. Mm. You know, you have, a, you, know, you have a, already have a Ferrari block. We have Ferrari, Haas and Sauber, and they are very close. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious that, um, you know, the, the Mercedes block, there's a lot of close connections between uh, Force India, who I believe possibly are even being helped out, you know, especially at the moment by Mercedes. Yes. Williams obviously at the moment are a bit rubbish, but you know they, they they would obviously fall into line for various things on that. Then the Honda blocks got uh, Toro Rosso and uh, we'll have Toro Rosso and uh, Red Bull and, and Renault. Sorry, McLaren are very keen to be much better friends with Renault as well. So you've got yeah. these four blocks and then 
And, and so where's this, so this new engine manufacturer who comes in? There's no new teams on the horizon. So this new engine manufacturer who comes in, who's he going to be with? Or should I say he? Who are they going to be with? So I actually think this isn't a bad idea. And actually, it's cost-cutting. It's a cost-cutting thing because the engine manufacturers, yes, they have to spend money. I'd like to see – I would like to see us go away from three engines a year back up to about four or five because this three engines a year rule with 21 races is ridiculous, if you yeah, ask I me. I agree with that. Um, I, I, effectively, the technology is already proven and there's no sense in changing it just for the sake of changing I, it. I have an idea, right? Mm-hmm. You know there's five different bits of a of – a, an engine mm-hmm. you know there's the engine there's the control electronics there's the energy store there's the mguk the mgurh i think you should be allowed two jokers you can have two extra ones of any of those right so for example if you ha- if you like renault do have had a problem with the mguh okay and, and, have, and have fixed it and you need to bring a new version out fine that's one of your jokers knock yourself out that's a good idea because that's that's what most people about it's about developing you know i don't think you should be penalized for Making it more reliable. It. Yes. More reliable. They made it more reliable. They made it lighter. The only problem was, you know, they've ended up having to introduce it um, three months too late. All right. Well, well, they have to take a minor penalty for that. They've used one of their jokers. No, I think that's a good idea. That's two good ideas you've had there, Nick. This is very good. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 26. Nick Damon is on the line. I'm John Hindhoff. Um, we're on RS1, uh, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Before we let Nick go, uh, World Superbikes were at Mizano at the mm-hmm. weekend. Have been there? Have you been there? Mizano. I don't think I have. No, no, it's amazing. I mean, I was, I was a very different story entirely. I mean, um, whilst we were over some, we were talking about how many tracks have we been with 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 Ben and um, um, Paul and uh, Di and uh, and Joe, and Ben's done the most because he's done so many different series. That's um, a fair point. But yeah, I've been to Misano. I've been to Valalunga. I'm missing out. I haven't been to um, the what's, what's the one around the the. the oh, I mean, there's about three in Italy I haven't been to. I mean, you sort myself out on that front. I've, I've been to the one that's near Venice. I went to a um, Air One GP. Oh no, Super League Formula. There. Super League Formula. Yes, absolutely. That is Valunga, isn't it? Isn't it Valunga? No, no, no. Yeah, it's um, uh, oh, right. I'll, I'll I'll have a look up that um and uh, race track. So um, it was a, a double <laughs> win again uh, for yeah. poor old Johnny Rear. Yes. Poor. And now everyone's turning around after a relatively Adria. open start to the season. Adria. Adria, brilliant. Well done. That, no, no, that, I had to look it up. That was one I was thinking as well, because I want to say one in the Adriatic, but it's not in the Adriatic. It just sounds like it should be. Yes. Um, uh, a, do- a weekend double, a delightful double at Mizano. And they turn around now because it's boring. There's been a real kind of backlash on Superbikes about how it's boring because Johnny Ray's always winning. And you kind of go, oh, come on. <laughs> um what can you do? He's done you know. three doubles this season uh, and two at Mazzano over the course of his, uh, of his career. Now, he had to start from ninth place on the grid on Sunday and he did uh, pick his way through. Uh, in fairness, Michael van der Mark, who was leading for a long time, did actually put a little bit of, uh, of resistance up and it wasn't just an easy drive through but what, what I'm going to say this again it was the same as when I was watching at um, Imola I mean he is just a di- Johnny Ray is just a different class he, you know even when um, his teammate um, Chaz Davies is no, that's not his teammate. Uh, sorry um, sorry say again Tom Sykes is his teammate yes even when Tom Sykes 
is a couple of places in front of him on the reverse place. He's passed him and gone. And, Sy- and Sykes can't come through the field. Nobody can come through the field in the reverse race the way that Johnny Ray does. I mean, he qualifies on pole. He rides away in the first race normally. That's, that's pretty standard. But this nobody comes through the field the way that Johnny Ray does. And I mean, you know, say what you want about reverse grid, but it does give you half a dozen or ten. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's now virtually 100 points ahead, which is two complete meetings. 92, yeah. Um, I think. Well, I don't think. I don't know what can what can you do. You can only beat who you're up against. Um, I, it is noted that Tom Sykes has really gone off the boil, so I think this this the that is likely he will get replaced at the end of the season. I think there's a there's a political situation going on there which isn't working to his, his liking. Um, Chas Davis uh, managed a second, but it's just this consistency thing. You know, Johnny Ray. You know, I'm just looking back on the results, and I'm trying to see. Um, he's. The last time he wasn't on the podium was raced to in Thailand. Yeah, exactly. 64 wins. Oh, no, hang on. Sorry, I've got it wrong. He actually raced two of the check round, of course. He got knocked off by Tom oh, Sykes. Correct. Finished. But he's now so got when he's six race, he's been on the podium. He's now got 64 wins um, mm. and is, along with Troy Bealis, the most successful world superbike rider ever. Um, I'm sure he's got Carl Fogarty's four consecutive Superbike World Championships in his sight. What I do like, and, and you know, I, I know what people are saying. They're saying it's boring because the results are the same. Jonathan mm. Ray wins. However, you know, what we've got is the best Kawasaki rider from the best Ducati rider from the best Yamaha rider in the championship. Now, all right, they're spread out a bit, but Chaz well, Davies no, and, and Michael Van like, der Mark. I think Alex, Alex Lowe's had some bad luck. I think that's a bit close and it's, and it's down there, okay. Van Mark and Lowe's. But no, in fairness, the point. The points table doesn't lie at the end of the season, John. Um, Jumps for goalposts. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think you're right. We've got, you know, you've got three, three manufacturers now. Um, getting closer. I think, yeah, we probably, I think Ducati have fallen away, but they're in the last, I think they're in the last, last year this bike they haven't got the v4 yet they got the v4 next year i think anyway uh maybe i must check my uh my v4 uh knowledge Excellent. um but uh yeah i, mean, I think you know it's, it's quite nice to you in lavity picking up a couple of podiums for aprilia as well so they're coming through as well so the, the, the other bikes have been given some little breaks over the course of the last season they're getting a bit close to the domination of the kawasaki's but it's a very 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 good bike in its class with a very very good rider a very efficient team and they're on a bit of a wave of confidence so it's quite hard to knock them off uh what hasn't happened uh, in superbikes since 2007 I have absolutely no idea. Well, this comes down to um, a, a, co- a, a comment made by Johnny Rear, uh, saying that what is it, what has he said that the series needs? It needs a GP rider. That's yes, it does. It a yes. top name. A top name. And the last top name that came over was in 2007 and was? It was Massimo Biaggi. Max Biaggi. Yep, absolutely. And then twice. And why, and why, won the championship twice. He came over because he couldn't beat Rossi. He couldn't beat Rossi. And because he hated Rossi. He hated Rossi so much personally, he couldn't stand not beating Rossi. So he actually left and decided to come racing superbikes. And while who, he was still still pretty much the top of his game, rather than coming over when you you know you've been fired or you're on the way down. Point. Um, but that was 2007, and of course Rossi's still racing. In. That's what yeah, well, you know. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think? I mean, 
at the moment, let's let's remember that both series now are owned by Dorna, so there's there's no competition between the two of them. And MotoGT is having a having a bit of a, an upswing in terms um, of popularity. They get good crowds, tele- television audience numbers are good, and and bigger than superbikes. Um, is it just the predictability that you were talking about about superbikes that are that is just plateaued a little bit? I don't know. I think there's a situation really where um, MotoGP has, has, has obviously been on a growth spurt for about 15 years, really, ever since they went to four straight. There was a while when Fogarty was running in superbikes. They were running each other pretty close in. It was like in certain countries, you get a bigger crowd for GP. In certain countries, not just the UK, you get a bigger crowd for superbikes. And then it kind of all swapped around. And, and you know, superbikes is seen as the, the poor relation in many ways. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird, is it? We, we, don't, we don't go around lamenting, you know, what happened to the IndyCar because it's up against F1 or anything. They're, they're seen as different series. I think because of the similarity. What's the interesting thing is, of course, the similarity, similarity in lap times. The superbikes yes. aren't that much slower than the, uh, the MotoGP bike, so it needs a very, very different well, style of riding. Well, this is interesting. Um, this, this is interesting because what he said was, I think we need a star from GP to come here. This is Johnny Rear. I think it will then lift the public perce- perception. They'll be seeing, wow, these guys are fast. Laverty, Davies, Sykes, me, they're all fast guys. Um, and it's, it's happened in four-wheel sport. And the thing that I can sort of put that against, having had some experience of it, is when we go to Bathurst for the 12 hours and the Virgin Australia supercar drivers jump into GT3 cars and... Uh, and they do very well because they're very good drivers. And people go, so people um, on the outside of Australian motorsport internationally go, actually, these guys are pretty good because they, you know, they can pedal a GT3 car. People inside Australian motorsports say of the international stars, oh, these guys must be pretty good because they're as good as or a bit better yeah, yeah. than these yeah. guys. It's a win-win situation. I mean, we've got people like Danny Pedroza. I mean, he... He, we don't know where he's going. Ian Orney? I don't think he. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think Pedroza is going to go stay in, in MotoGP, and also I think Cal Crutchlow. I think physically, Pedroza is not a good match with right. um, Superbikes. Right. Um, he is tiny. He really is tiny. Yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. just small. He's not just jockey sized. He's like you know, he he would be an extra in the Wizard of Oz if he was hanging around in uh, in Los Angeles in the thirties. Um, but I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think there needs to be a little bit of a rethink from uh, from Dorna about how they promote the series because at the moment, really, it's pretty obvious that a, a championship dominated by Southern Europeans is more popular, is more attractive to watch than championship dominated by Brits because well, you know, true. you know, that, that's how it really is. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. the, the popularity of the Bellator British Super Bikes um, running very similar regulations and, and similar formula bikes, um, in fact, pretty much identical now, aren't they? Uh, although I think the tyres are, are different. But, you know, that's given a, a, a platform. But, you know, um, well, you I, I, a, what, what yeah, about yeah, Iannone? What about Andrea Iannone or Cal Crutchlow coming back? Honda could bring Cal Crutchlow back. But why would they want to when he's running for their satellite team and he's first alternate from the two works drivers? Hmm. You know, it's 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 the point. Why would the guys? You know, there is another thing that is perception is. Like, why would I want to go and run on superbikes when I'm running in GPs? The only reason would be, oh, so I can go win it. But then you can go. Hang on a second. Can I win it? You know, I know I think I'm pretty good, but there's always a you know a, a acclimatization procedure. And then there's two or three guys who I know, being a, a being a professional motorcycle racer, are pretty damn good. Can I beat them in their own their own backyard? You know, even the natural arrogance is that people are going to go. Hmm, not so sure. Do I want to take the risk? 
for less money, eh, no, it's all right. I'll carry on going around in, in what's seen as the premier class. You know? uh, the next race isn't until September. There's quite a... I know. They have... is that, that is what I call a winter break. Two months and a week. Well, uh, summer break, yes. Uh, however, they're going <laughs> to where you were at the weekend, Portimao. Yes, and I know. I mean, I think that's a great circuit for bikes. I think it's a pretty good circuit I for cars, but it's a great now, circuit I for bikes. I think Portimao is... Um, if you say, right, you can do a track day at any track in the world, I'd choose Portimao. On a bike? But all the tracks I've been to, it's fabulous. I don't know how it races. I'm not a racer. I'm just, you know... On I've a seen bike, you mean? Yeah. 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 So many Love blind it. corners. Love it. I mean, I, I want to try and be brave and say Laguna Seca, but I think I'd chicken out. So I'll say, I'll say Portimao because I'm happy with the blind corner rather than the, rather than the corkscrew. <laughs> I, I I think and I love don't get me wrong I love um, Laguna Seca I really do and the first time I drove around it was in a V8 Chevy Astro van so it wasn't really the best thing to fall off the end of the corkscrew on but I think Portimao on a motorbike there's the corkscrew and then there's the long left-hander after the corkscrew which are the two big corners. I suppose the left-hander coming up the hill turns six as well. They're, they're the real bottle corners. But the rest of Master Raceway Laguna Seca is kind of okay. Whereas Portimao, there's three, four, five corners oh, yeah. there where you're just going, are you kidding me? Another blind entry, another well, brow to turn over. Rather irritating. If we found a way of uh, staying for an extra day at Portimao, as we can, there's obviously a massive big Yamaha thing going on this week because they were unboxing, literally uncrating R1s and R6s in one of the garages the whole Just time. Just for fun. And I was sitting there going, can I have a little go? But they were unfortunately done spoke English. I go, I have got a license. <laughs> mm. But uh, yeah, they must have had about, oh, I don't know, about 14 of them or something. Oh dear, that would have been tempting. Uh, so that's they were 14. So new. They were warming them up and they were burning off all the kind of the Oh, really? Stuff. Yeah, they were zero miles. So... Oh, road bikes? Yeah. It must have been yeah. a must have been a Yamaha press deer, mustn't it? Yeah. Mm, very good. Very good. So that's not till September, and then uh, that's the middle of September, actually. Then it's France, Argentina, and Qatar uh, on my birthday weekend for the end of the season. So well, off you go then. Two, three, four. I'm, oh yeah, no, I'm free that weekend now because the uh, because the Forza Motorsport World Finals has moved. So ooh, mm. wait, wait, hang on, when is that now? Uh, that's the week before. So that's the 21st of October in London. Yeah. So the weekend after Petit and Spark Eventic. I've, okay. If you say so. I've got, I, my, I'm not allowed. Just making my diary adjustments. I'm just, uh, I'm just, yes, but not for 2021. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm not allowed to make can, calendar, um, calendar uh, decisions. Yeah. You no, know that. No major decisions are allowed to be made by John. No, no, because I just <laughs> say yes to everything and then find that I've got three things on the on a weekend. Uh, Nick, that, thank you. Like... Go on. <laughs> Sorry, Go on. No, I say, that's like how you find you have to get to Pikes Peak before you've left Le Mans, you mean? Well, almost, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you very much indeed, Nick Dearman. And yeah. um, I'll, you're not here this week, uh, which is why you're on the line. Are you here next week? I think so. Yes, but I I'm... think, why not? Are you here next week? No, I'm not here next week. <laughs> oh, well, then no one's here next week. One day, I wonder I wonder when I'll actually ne- next get to actually physically see you. It's been uh, many weeks, John, since Le Mans. I haven't seen you since then. And more importantly, away. when will you get to come and have dinner? Because I know that's more important. I am wasting away. It has to be said. I know you love coming to talk to me, but really, I know it's cupboard love for Eve's cooking. Really, you appear to be. I appear to be have my plan seen through there. Yeah, <laughs> transparency. Uh, Nick yeah. Dearman joining us live here on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks, mate. Thanks, John. Midweek Motorsport Series Thirteen, Episode Number Twenty Six, and joining us 
back at the lake for the second week running uh, from the IMSA radio team is Shay Adam. Hello, Shay. Hello, John. You won't hear the waves crashing behind me today, though. I've uh, stayed up at the cottage, so I'm about eight stories above the lake. Yes, I know. I'm very envious. Very envious <laughs> indeed. Um, let's start with what we saw at the weekend at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. I know it's one of your favourite places to go. It's got a special place in the uh, family history, for particularly for your dad's motor racing career. It is a great place to go. And frankly, we had a nearly... Per- other than the thunderstorm on Thursday night, which caught a few of the campers, um, for which I feel very bad for them. But other than that, we had a pretty near perfect weekend. Yeah, the weather cooperated fully, uh, caught campers out, and it also caught people traveling in trying to get to the racetrack out. Um, it was, I'm, I'm still sort of glowing about it. Here we are, what, three days later beyond the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race, and I'm still pondering the end of that. How in the world did Westy manage to wear his fluffy pink bunny slippers again, and none of us noticed until he was already in the car? No, I know. I I, I spent uh, a couple of hours with him at the airport on Sunday night with Ollie Gavin, Tony Garcia, uh, Gillian Saul was there from... Uh, Multimatic and Nick Tandy as well was there. So we had a a long discussion about that. Uh, Very good company, those guys, always, uh, by the way. Uh, um, We'll we'll talk in depth about the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in a moment because there's a couple of things that came out of that that we'll do uh, in the the start of the the next hour of the show. But I've got to have a word about the support programme. It was small but perfectly formed. Um, Second round of the season for third round of the season, excuse me, for the uh, the IMSA prototype challenge presented by Mazda. And I... Fourth. Was it the fourth? Oh, yes, yeah, we had one of Sebring. we were not Barber. Cra- I, I'd, I'd forgotten. No, I remembered Barber because I did the TV for it. I'd forgotten Sebring. Um, the, um, so fourth, ah. fourth round of the season uh, for them. And beginning to get into its stride now with that new one hour, 45 minute package, potentially multiple drivers and, and that all of a sudden is is looking like a, a series that that's got a future it really does uh starting to find its legs the race really compromised by the fact that we got that yellow right as the pit window was mm. coming to the end of its cycle that separated the lead car and ultimately the winning car the number 47 from 47 motorsports norma uh congratulations to them on that when uh, for uh, TJ Fisher and Austin McCusker, really well-deserved. But we really were left thinking, what could have been? Because there was such a great battle from second on down. At one point, I think we had like four cars fighting for the final spot on the podium. It was just so enticing to watch. And a shout-out for MPC as well, because when we had James French versus Kyle Masson, James, who had never driven those cars before, and Kyle, the defending champion, that truly was great, John. You hit the nail on the head there. We're going to miss those uh, little Mazda-powered prototypes next year. This is their their final year, and, and it strikes me that part of part of the joy of that race is that it is mixed-class prototype racing, which is actually quite unusual. We're used to seeing that in GT racing and prototypes and GTs together, but two different types of prototypes and no GTs. That is actually quite unusual. It really is. And to be honest, I'm I'm going to miss the fact that it is multi-class racing more than just those little cars, because I understand that the cars are old, maybe body parts not as easy to get as they once were. But I really wish that there was some other form of little prototype 
whatever it could be, put that Mazda engine in it and let's just keep it multi-class. It's a great way to teach the drivers who are coming up through the IMSA ladder what it's like to race in multiple classes with prototypes. And it's the only place that you can do it. So I really wish that there was some way to sort of keep the spirit of it going. But you can't argue with what the LMP3s have put on. They have certainly stepped up the game. And we've got a lot of seriously competitive drivers in that class. I mean, we had three former series champions running this weekend in the race alone that says a lot for the kind of caliber of driver that is being attracted to the program just to drive the lmp3s uh, and what it also means is that next year we're going to need a, a few more of those lmp3 cars but there seems to be a steady stream of people who want to come and do that series uh, some new faces again this weekend some new driver pairings as well and Quite clearly, there's an opportunity for some people who are doing other weather tech work to, to jump in and be second drivers. Yeah, look at uh, Trent Hinman coming in with Cameron Castles, James French and uh, Kyle Masson, as I already mentioned, coming into the MPC category. But then you've got guys like Kenton Cook, like Jan Halen, like Sean Rahal, guys who have already established a name for themselves in the racing world who are coming to race in this series and help a driver who wants to hone their skills. That's part of the Pro-Am formula. It really makes for a good weekend when you get the AMs out there running around for the start of the race. They do their 40-minute time. Some of them stay in and do quite a bit more because, hey, we're all here to have fun. But when the pros get behind the wheels of the cars and you can see what they're really capable of, man, a full series of those with nothing but pros in them would be something else to watch. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. And I like the variety. Um, The Norma's doing very well over there. Uh, It was nice to see those new names as well. Cracking uh, bit of racing there. A very quick word about uh, about the Continental Tire Sports car championship uh, again i mean we're back to the normal level just uh, normal length rather just two hours there but two hours that was intriguing tactically because of the way the driver times fell and the way the yellows and the, and the pit stops fell and the mustangs really did have a hand above everyone this weekend they were the strongest cars they weren't the quickest necessarily the fastest lap time came from a different make but the mustangs seemed to have the best balance over the course of the race And full credit to the core motorsport organization, to Dean Martin. I swear that guy had about 50 heart attacks in the last five minutes of the race. They were close, weren't they? They were so close. He he said when I finished interviewing Nate Stacey after uh, they'd crossed the line and taken the checkered, he might as well send a wrecker out because Kyle is not going to be able to drive that thing back to victory lane. And sure enough, he ran out of fuel, and I think it was turn three, and somehow managed to coast around to turn eight. (laughs) Uh, just about made. I didn't even have enough fuel to do the obligatory donuts uh, round no. on that big uh, <laughs> that big runoff at at turn number eight. Um, the Mercedes were a little more competitive, just proving that you know balance of performance is such a difficult thing. Cars, different cars have different strengths on different tracks. A um, little bit more competitive, as I say, uh, for them. And Damien Faulkner drove brilliantly, as did his teammate Russell Ward to start with. That. Frankly, that 33 Winwood car has has really blossomed. And we said this in the commentary. I said this to, to Jeremy, but it's it worth, worth seeing again. Being a fast driver is only part of the deal for being the pro in that Pro-Am series. Bringing on the confidence and the experience and mentoring the other driver is so much a part of that. And clearly to me, 
Damien has done that to Russell Ward. And what's more, Russell, I mean, there's two sides to the story, Shea. Russell Ward has taken that on board and has improved immeasurably in the last season or so. 100%. And it's kind of staggering to think that this is the first podium visit for that team, for Russell Ward and Damien Faulkner, since their first race. They finished third in the race, or second in the race at Daytona last year, the four-hour, which was their debut in the championship. And it's been a long dry spell ever since. We can argue, yes, they should have made it back before then. I'm thinking back to uh, Laguna Seca last year when, uh, while leading the race, there was an issue. But you've just got to appreciate what a difference a good driver coach like Damien can make. And we've seen it with Russell. He's always had the talent. He's always had the drive to get there. But when you've got someone who not only can hand you the data sheet, he'll sit there and walk you through and tell you why you're probably losing two tenths on this corner and three tenths here. Maybe inspire you to try going a little bit for your first time and then all of a sudden you figure it out that's where the difference is made and that's where championship driving teams are made yeah he he can't just tell you why he can tell you how that's i think that's the key that's the key thing when i look at what uh, damien's done for drivers down through the years and and fair play to russell as i say he's got to be receptive to that uh, and move on and i can see that being a, a very very uh successful partnership in the years to come you're listening to midweek motorsport uh, and Shay adam is on the line uh Shea, don't go away uh, it is half time as it's the world cup i think we've got to say that so we'll take a short break and be back with more in a moment midweek motorsport half time and while we swap ends here's what's coming up coming up on the second hour of midweek motorsport declan brennan will join us as we look back on an unexpected result in the Daytona stock car race over the weekend and also decide uh, why there's a brand new car coming next year in the Xfinity series, which is their sort of second division of racing. Uh, Fingers crossed that we get Richard Creel. We've got to try and make the time work for us here. It's very early in the morning in Australia, so that's going to be towards the end of the show. There's a couple of big stories that we want to talk about from the Australian motorsport scene. And also, I'll see if I can get the responsible adult uh, to give me the okay to break a big story that involves cruelty. But next, more Shea Adam. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com Into the second hour of Midweek Motorsports Series 13, Episode 26. Shea Adam uh, remaining with us. And uh, let's talk then about the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, it was yay. the yay. That's that's TM Nick. You're going to be careful there. You'll be paying him royalties. Um, it effectively was the the walkout race. It was the last thing of the weekend, and nobody moved. Nobody moved uh, right till the end because there was things going on everywhere. All right, the leaders in class by the last three or four laps certainly had been had been developed and established was the word I was looking for there. Um, But the battles for the minor places on the podium in all three categories were extraordinary. GT Daytona at one stage, I think we had fourth down to 10th all battling together. And massive shout out for Magnus Racing, Mm. their whole crew. That car was underneath the bale of tires at the end of one of the practice sessions. They rebuilt it, got it out for qualifying got it out for shooting the movie because they were involved in some of the pit stops. And I I loved what John Potter said about how he got sick of being beaten into the box about six times in a row. I thought that was very funny. (laughs) Um, But Andy Lally, 
when he caught up to the back of Catherine Legg in the 86 Acura, all of a sudden it was game on, and he just went into another mode, getting the first podium of the year for the 44 Magnus crew. By the way, that's hard to believe. First podium of the year for them. Mm. Well-earned, well-deserved, and now they carry that momentum going into Lamrock. I think that is truly an EEP statement for the rest of the paddock. When you get them working well at that track, oh my goodness. Uh, word for the winners of GT Daytona, though. They had yeah. a very, very good run. Lexus, I think, will be disappointed, by the way, because they had the front row locked out and at various stages. They were running one and two. Hawksworth's challenge sort of fizzled away as the tyres burned out. But um, got to say, Ben Keating said it to you when we spoke to him with about <laughs> an hour to go. He said, I don't think they can keep the tyres under that Lexus, and I'm pretty sure Jerome can on the 33 Riley, uh, uh, Riley AMG GT, and he was spot on. That's because Jerome Blake Mullen is codename for magic. He can do <laughs> things with the car that mere mortals do not understand. And uh, Jerome and Ben, who had last won at Cirque de Americas last year, so keep in mind that was basically the equivalent of mid-Ohio this year. It was well more than a calendar year. And for that duo, they have won no fewer than two races per year since they started driving together. They were looking at a big fat zero with five rounds to go. That was making them both a bit nervous. So to get that first win out of the way is a big sigh of relief for them. Now they've got that momentum figured out. They had all of Bill Riley's organization focused on one car. And while Bill normally sits on that car, he's on their box. He's the one talking to them on the radio. It helps when all the attention is focused on one car. We've seen that in the past. There was no sister car this weekend, and all of a sudden the 33 Riley AMG goes to the front. I'm not at all surprised to see that happen. I'm just shocked at how long it took them. Only their second podium of the season, the first one coming after Sebring, it will not be their last. Mark my words, they will get another win this year. Uh, I thought another championship-esque uh, championship winning type performance by uh, Madison Snow and Brian Sellers, the uh, Paul Miller Racing Huracan, the the uh, Lamborghini GT3 car, uh, wasn't really there in some of the early sessions, qualified kind of okay, but raced very well, very sensibly, didn't get involved in anything it didn't need to be, even when it was in that long line of cars, picks up good points, I'd say exactly the same about their closest challenge of the 86. Catherine Legg, very, very sensible at the end. Took what points were on offer. Ultimately, though, Brian Sellers, Madison Snow just stretched their championship lead a tiny bit heading to Lime Rock. Yep, P4 and P5 for our championship mm. contending duo. Important to note, though, sitting in third in the championship is the car that won GTD. So Keating and Blake Mullen never out of it. They're staging a bit of a comeback. Most important thing that can be said for both the Lamborghini and the Acura, though, they rolled back on the truck with the wheels pointing in the right direction and not a scratch on the bodywork. So they managed to keep the cars in perfect condition heading into the next round of the championship, which is a GT-only race. Should make their lives a bit easier in GTV, but we'll just have to see what happens. Lime Rock is a track that can go anyone's direction. Yes, and if it and, goes uh, wrong. coming out of Canadian Tire. Go on. Sorry, yes. go ahead. No, I was just going to say coming out of Canadian Tire Motorsport Park with your car pointed in the right direction is notable in itself. Yes, well, and the thing about Lime Rock is if it goes wrong at Lime Rock, it could go very badly wrong. And the, the point that she's yes. making there is that we're in this run now 
where, particularly for the GT cars, there's no respite now. It's pretty much every other weekend all the way to Motul Petit Le Mans at the end of the season. It's a little less hectic for the prototype runners, but nevertheless, there's not much time to get things fixed if you roll the car up into a small ball. Uh, the fact that it's well, GT only, sorry, Cher, the fact that it's GT only means that our GT Le Mans runners uh, will be running for the overall victory next time out. Now, we've touched on Richard Westbrook and Ryan Briscoe. What a brilliant win for them. Um, tactically perfect. I'm not sure how much choice they had when they came in for that last pit stop, but they had to get him out before the red light came on. The safety car had just been called. They got it in plenty of time uh, to make that a legal stop, but what they had to do was get out before the red light went on at the end of the pit lane. That meant they could only put a finite amount of fuel in and my goodness me, that was a bit closer than they thought. But I thought the perfect blend, very aggressive, uh, very clean racing early on by Richard Westbrook, by uh, Ryan Briscoe. Richard Westbrook coming in, thoughtfully driving quick and economically. I still don't know how Richard does that. I think he's possibly the best guy in any of the classes in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at going quick but still saving fuel. He's got something in common with his teammates, Scott Dixon, that's for sure, mm. because the two of them seem to have nailed something down. But Ryan Briscoe putting in a second-place qualifying effort earlier on in the week, that made a statement. And even talking to them after that, they're still, yeah, we don't know. We, we won here a few years ago, but it was all on strategy. We just don't have the speed to keep up with the Porsches at the front. Uh-huh, yeah, but you've got two of the best drivers in the series. You've got the two guys leading the championship in your car you got a chance, and they took that chance and ran with it. And as you said, John, a huge round of applause to the crew guys in particular for that pit stop. When the uh, safety car came out, when they were already in the pit lane, they did not change their strategy. They weren't going to give Richard any additional fuel. They had already calculated how much he would need to make it to the end of the race, no further than the end of the race, but just to the end. Mm. And uh, that's exactly what they did, timed it so that he got back out before the red light came on at the end of the pit lane. He didn't lose any time waiting for the safety car train to come back around or cars catching up to the safety car. It was tactically perfect. And for four Chip Ganassi Racing for the 67 to now be leading the championship once again, took that right back from its teammates. Um, now it's uh, Antonio Garcia and Jan Magnussen at second, though. They are always hard to beat off. Then it's the 66, the other Ford Chip Ganassi Racing uh, Ford GT, and then the other Corvette. So we've got Ford Corvette, Ford Corvette in terms of the championship right now. Mm. That's going to really be interesting when it shakes out at Limerick Park. Uh, Porsche will go away from Canadian Tire Motorsport Park going, it- uh, what just happened there? Because that was their race. Huh? <laughs> that was their race. It, That's at their track. It always has been. Even the new configuration of the 911 RSR still goes well there. They had the speed. Uh, thought Earl Bamba was a little bit overly aggressive, and that caused him problems. Hit uh, Richard Westbrook, actually, didn't he? Lost control of the car coming, trying to overtake Richard Westbrook, punctured. Uh, that took John, him out of it. Yeah. And then hit John Edwards as well. Yes. Um, when, Very when uncharacteristic Edwards... from Bambi. Yeah, and I have to say, by the way, it was Bambi's birthday on Monday and Westy's birthday on Tuesday. So happy birthday mm-hmm. to both of those guys, slightly belated. Um, but Edwards put up a picture on Instagram showing that he had left a complete card's width uh, on Bamber on the inside and that Bamber still managed to tag him or at least come together with John. There will be words exchanged there. But for Porsche, 
last year they got the poll at CTMP, didn't get the win. They went on to get the poll and the win at Lime Rock Park. So for them, at least they've got that going forward. If they get the poll at Lime Rock on sun, Saturday morning, they'll feel a lot better about going into the race Saturday afternoon because history tends to repeat itself. So they'll be uh, looking strong in that race, I have no doubt. Yeah, I do think they'll be disappointed with the, what they got from it. Corvette had another good run. We said early in the weekend, there's something about going to close to the Oshawa plant for GM that seems to bring out the best. <laughs> and again, um, the, the lap times between all of the uh, the teams were, were pretty close. A, a shout for BMW, who clearly aren't still quite yet on the pace with that new M6 GTE. They've had a couple of little helping hands from BOP, and I think... Are just waiting to see how that shakes out as the guys get to know the car a little bit better. But they use clever strategy to have both of their cars at various stages lead the race. Uh, and particularly when the 25 car was in front, didn't get eaten up straight away. I think there's, yeah. some, I think there's something for Rahal Letterman Lanigan and for the rest of the BMW Motorsport team to get a little bit excited about there. I'm not saying they've turned the corner. I'm not saying they're going to go out at Lime Rock Park. But that car... In race conditions uh, and being able, indeed, to race and defend its position at the front of the field actually looked far more competitive than I expected. Yes, and there is something to be said about getting that car out front, uh, whether it's in a safety car period or whatnot. It is a very wide car, John, and they Mm. have some drivers who know how to make it a little bit wider. (laughs) They can keep it out front if they can get it there. So uh, that's something else to watch for at Lime Rock because, of course, the BMWs, on a, well, more narrow track, might just be a little bit even harder to beat in BMW's spiritual home ground. Mm. In prototypes, uh, only the three Oricas got below the 1 minute 8 uh, uh, mark in the race. 107.5 for Core Autosport, Mm. 107.9 for JDC Miller, and 107.6 for the 85 JDC Miller. Actually, that's not true. Somebody sent me that. That's not true because um, the Acura got underneath that and actually got the fastest lap of the race with Dane Cameron. So Dane Cameron got a 107.3. So Sebastian Roertz isn't quite right uh, on that. But three out of three Oricas did get under the eight, under the eight, one minute eight. Um, it did seem to be a better car than we expected. But then again, Acura had their chances and didn't take it. Cadillac, again, the Cadillac teams used good strategy to get to the front. But it's, that's mm. not their circuit, clearly, anymore. Uh, and you've got to say... And I know why Jeremy gets annoyed about taking pole position and then not starting from the front. But the tactics, once again, two weeks in a row, worked for Core Autosport. Uh, John did a great. John Bennett did a great first stint, kept on the lead lap, helped by a couple of safety cars. But my goodness me, once Colin Brown was unleashed, there was. I mean, we thought we might have an exciting finish. It was exciting to watch him carve his way through the field. But the fact he was going to take the lead was never in doubt. No, and it was just a matter of when, not if. And I will hold my hand up. I will apologize to the entire 54 Core Autosport organization. They heard me on the loudspeaker say I did not think that they could do it. They proved me wrong, and they called me over multiple times during the race to say, "Uh uh-huh, we can't do it, Uh uh-huh, okay. Mm, Good for them. I, I, I put my hand up. I salute them. I commend them on a great performance from the whole team, a well 
deserved win. And have to say also, John, this is three out of three times that John and Colin have gone to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park in Anorica and come away with a win. So it was 2015 and 2016 that they did it in the Prototype Challenge car. They've done it again in 2018. I've got to give them a big round of applause and uh, say congratulations to the whole team. Keep that momentum going because it's going to be another hard struggle when they next show up at Road America. Yeah, that's right. They've got a, a couple of weeks extra to gather their thoughts. Um, it, it was the Colin Brown show. Only Dan Cameron got anywhere near him in practice and qualifying. And really only Dan got anywhere near the consistency as well as the speed uh, during the race. Uh, he is just extraordinary around there. Obviously, the Orica was the right car to have. But even with that said, Colin made the difference every time he was in the car. Stephen Simpson did great. Misha Goikberg did great. You know, all the drivers uh, on the other Oricas did really well. But Colin just stood head and shoulders above. He did. And whether it's his ease with the track, the fact mm. that they're finally coming up to terms with the car, it's still a new program and a new car for the program. So every time they go out, they are learning. They didn't do a great deal of preseason testing. This is not a Penske. This mm. is not a factory-backed Cadillac. This is not one of the big dogs out there. This is a little team from South Carolina. So for them to come out, for Colin to get in the car and drive like his tail was on fire and he was trying to get away from it, it was just a very impressive performance by the whole team the whole weekend long. And the only thing that would have made it sweeter for them would have been a Porsche winning in GTLM. But now they've got an opportunity to go out and do that at Lime Rock. A, a number of people saying that one of the reasons behind them taking the limelight for pole position and obviously also showing Colin off in the best light is possibly to attract a, a manufacturer DPI uh, effort for next year we've we've heard other people hmm. we talked about this last week you know who have got oricas who are courting manufacturers to provide an engine and an aerodynamic package that they can bolt on to their oricas is is that logistically possible do you think for core they're already already running the porsche factory cars in gtlm uh, one presumes it wouldn't be porsche that would be coming into DPI, I don't think that, that that's on Porsche's radar at the moment. So, I mean, they would have to do it with a, yeah. another team, another manufacturer. Yeah, and they don't have to go flaunting their peacock feathers to show Porsche how great they are. Porsche that's already knows. It, it surprised a lot of people when Porsche chose Core Autosport to be the American factory team. They lived up to every single expectation. The first race that they came out and did, John, was Daytona 2014, where they won the mm. 24 hours. They have proven to Porsche, to Weissach, to, to Stuttgart, to all of Germany, that they are more than capable of winning championships, big races, everything. I think with the PC program, it is an intriguing idea. Send Colin out, show how fast he is with the spec engine in the car and just how much faster he could be with your engine in the car. Yeah. That is a great way to advertise. What we've been hearing is that it's, it's a thank you to the crew to show just how much better the car is than the competition, how, how much faster it can go, which, let's face it, is what qualifying is all about. Lay your cards down, show how fast you can go. What the real story is, I don't know, but it certainly would be interesting to see uh, Core Autosport, the head of two factory programs for two different organizations. 
not the only win. I mean, Colin, Colin Brown was uh, imperious at the weekend, topped every single session. The only top of the times he didn't get was fastest lap in the race, which, as I said, went to Dean Cameron in, in the Acura. The fact that Acura were off their game this weekend, Acura Team Penske had a car, and certainly in Dean Cameron, had a driver who could drive away from the field when Colin Brown wasn't in the car, in fairness. That was when John was in the car in the opening stint. But they completely blew it. They had all kinds of very odd issues. Their their pit strategy was questionable. The drivers made mistakes as well by planting it off the circuit. Is it too simplistic to say, well, Tim Sindrick and Roger Penske weren't there, uh, so... That's it. I mean, it's it's not like the rest of the team have never run cars before. They've just been dragged off the streets of Oshawa and Bowmanville. <laughs> yeah, they didn't just pick up hitchhikers and say, okay, you're going to run the seven. Yeah. You're going to call strategy <laughs> on the six. Yeah. Although that would be fascinating. Um, there is something to be said when the uh, the ringmasters aren't there, the monkeys tend to run a little bit looser. Um, <laughs> I did not see any of that from Acura Team Penske this weekend. It was still very buttoned up. People still had their shirts tucked in, their belts on, their shoes were shined. The scooters lined up. Even though the boss man was playing in cornfields in Iowa, it was still as if Roger could show up at any second and they would need to be on their best game. Good point. Um, I would put it down, and by the way, uh, Dane drove all but the last 30 minutes of the race. So he was out on track with Colin at the same time. Oh, yes, he was. But they weren't. They weren't ever in the same ballpark, uh, if you know what I mean. It it was already over by then. Um, I would put it down to as simple as Dane and Ricky have both won at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park in the prototype category. They have a level of comfort. They knew what to expect from the race. Elio and Juan were both a bit intimidated by the track. You could tell whether they would admit it or not. Took a different ways, though. Yes. Montoya, Juan Montoya, rather got a bit insular and a bit, dare I say it, surly. Got pulled yes. up, got pulled up by the head steward, the chief steward, uh, Bob Barfield, for what was called unacceptable behaviour um, for being uh, not on his game in one of the practice sessions and parked for five minutes. And that sent a very strong message to the team, to the team members who were there, to the team members and principals who weren't there. Um, on the other hand, 180 degrees, you have Elio Castro Neves, even when he's crashed the car because he made a mistake. First of all, saying, that was my mistake, um, I crashed the car. But secondly, wanting to call the players wow sport and, and saying yes. to you, me, Jeremy, every driver who's been there f- f- for more than a couple of times, how the heck do they do this? This is brilliant. I love him. I love him. These guys are real heroes. This is a commitment track. Big smile, big smile, big smile. I want to get back in the car. I want to get back in the car. It was extraordinary, the the contrast between those two very experienced drivers. Champions in their own right and uh, winners of the Indianapolis 500. Five wins between the two of them. And for some reason, this place just threw them a curveball. They had never tested at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. So the first time they went out to discover mm. the uh, two-and-a-half-mile circuit was in the first practice session. It's a, quite a rude awakening. Uh, simulators don't do it right. Even the track walk, you don't really get the true feel for the speed of the place. And that's what made a big difference. I think both of those drivers were, right to say, intimidated by it. They approached it in very different directions, but it threw both of them a curveball, and Mm. neither one really got fully on their game over the course of the weekend. If we'd had a car with Dane and Ricky, we might be talking about a different story. It might not have been the core autosport car winning. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. Well made. Shea, I'll let you get back to relaxing. Thanks for joining us this Wednesday. Shea Adam, uh, live from Cottage Country up in Canada. Thanks. See you in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, a week and a little bit. Yeah, I've got a book to read before then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shea. Enjoy a few days off. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Midweek Motorsports, Series 13, Episode 26. And delighted to say that joining me for the second week in a row, although this time not waiting for a hire car, uh, from the US is Declan Brennan. Hello, Dex. Hello, John. I indeed am not waiting for a hire car. If I was, I, I would have a complaint to the uh, to the to the landlords at the at the apartment because they'd have moved the business in uh, while I was out <laughs> earlier on. So uh, that's that is has not happened mercifully. We hello. Are, hello. We are uh, first of all, um, you're involved with uh, HTP uh, um, with. Um, uh, Winwood HTP. Uh, so congratulations on a third place uh, at the yes. uh, at the weekend. Uh, Fabulous. It's all it's all on a lovely upward curve. The performance of both Russell Ward and Damien were excellent. The car was terrific. The crew were good. Uh, we we are getting a little bit. I believe uh, I might be speaking uh, uh, out of turn here, but I believe we might be getting a little bit of uh, a further relaxation of our balance of performance uh, within our, uh, our rev range uh, come Lime Rock, and Lime Rock should suit us anyway. So my thought is that, that we are in a very good position moving towards Lime Rock Park, uh, particularly with the, uh, with the way this uh, Mercedes operates, wow. this AMG GT4. So uh, although I'm saying that, Mustangs will probably take the first five places. So. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> Shane and I saying earlier on, which I know you didn't hear because you weren't online at that point, just how what a great job Mr. Faulkner has done with Mr. Ward. They have both played their respective parts. Demo in the uh, mentor role and Russell in the, oh, well, I better listen to what he's saying, role as well. Anyway, we wish you all the best on that. Uh, we've got you in to do a bit of a, a, a throwback uh, yeah, on the oval type of thing um, because I want to talk about uh, about NASCAR and the cup race uh, at the weekend uh, which was at Daytona it's one of the big races and um, and who won? Eric Jones Eric who? Eric Jones with a K Eric, well, you Eric see, who? I mean really Eric, 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 Eric Jones no not Eric who Eric who is, uh, is somebody Stop it. very different <laughs> Eric Jones, perhaps not anybody's pick to win the race. I think I'm probably not understating it at that point. I was I was sitting with uh, a whole load of Americans when that happened, and they all looked at each other and really did go, Eric, who? Um, it was a it was a crazy race. Um, in some ways, I've seen some very odd comments afterwards. But first of all, tell me who Eric Jones is. Well, it's uh, it's probably says a, a lot about the sport that that we we don't we're all surprised i suppose it's a it's a sport that that thrives and lives for for its star names but yeah but a couple of things to say here one shouldn't be that much of a surprise that he won purely because uh the the restrictor play races have turned to such lotteries over the years True. Uh, so but on saying that he is a, a the latest in a long line of 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 a of what seems to be outstanding young drivers who uh, have come through the Gibbs uh, development funnel, uh, if that is uh, a, a thing. Well, maybe it is now. I've just invented it. The Gibbs development funnel. I, a lovely. He described it in a beautiful way uh, uh, this morning on a call I listened to. 
he described it as as these are his draft picks. He said, uh, you know, I these guess. are guys he's he's drafted. Uh, so even Denny Hamlin is Denny Hamlin is a is a guy that that has has lived nowhere else but Joe Gibbs Racing. It, it's easy to forget. Uh, Joey Logano was was the same before he moved on. So he has an eye for talent, and uh, along with Daniel Suarez, uh, Denny Hamlin, and and his free agent as he calls Kyle Busch. It, it is quite a a powerful lineup. Now, uh, Eric Jones is twenty two. This is basically his first full season of of full time racing in 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 the uh, in the Monster Energy Cup Series. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, that that is not absolutely correct. No, last year was he did That's right. 17 he did the full season. This is year two. Uh, his development curve is is very much upwards. He's he's won in every of the every one of the lower uh, uh, categories. For, for Gibbs or in, in within Gibbs Farm organization, and yes, uh, this came as a bit of a, a, a surprise. But but ultimately, his curve was certainly upward. Uh, I think we are. Uh, this obviously puts him into the into the chase, which is kind of uh, you know you come from nowhere and suddenly you're in the chase, which is which is uh, which is is pretty remarkable but that is that's an extraordinary thing dex because we are getting close to the end of the regular season for the cup series and we've only had with eric jones i think we've only had eight different winners in the championship so far that's only half of the chase picture so people are still racing racing in under under points and and in a and a system that is meant to reward wins and make people go for wins it, it, it's still been dominated by two or three drivers this year uh, well, and jimmy johnson is only just in on points i mean that that'll be amazing if he doesn't get into the chase yeah it would be but but we've been doing this so long uh john it's it's easy to forget that jimmy is very much one of the old guard now that's very true uh you know uh casey kane was battling for the win uh it, it only seems like yesterday he was the next big thing. He is <laughs> one of the absolutely established firmament right now. Uh, there's been a lot of turnover. There's a lot of young drivers in the field. That, that Again, I, I would suggest that over the next year or two, we're going to have probably more discussions about, my goodness, who's that who just won? You know, because there is going to be a lot of new guys. There is a whole generation coming along. Uh, Gibbs has got that lovely balance right now where he's got these young guys. Uh, Dinah Suarez, I'm, I'm a obviously a massive fan of uh, a, 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 a Xfinity champion, a, a driver who has a talent that you almost don't need anymore. Sadly, he's fantastic on, on, a, on worn old mm. uh, tires. But of course the series spent so many times throwing yellows and, and not allowing these things to run uh, over prolonged periods that it's almost a talent that you don't need, or is certainly he's not getting the best use of. That's so he's point. on the outside. He's on the outside looking in as well right now. Uh, and uh, interestingly, John, uh, on the, uh, the the race itself was obviously a a, a, a almost embarrassing wreck fest, uh, with Ricky Stenhouse causing at least two, probably being heavily involved in two of the uh, of the uh, was it ten cautions? I think oh, he had ten it was ridiculous because it? it went to overtime. It went to double overtime because the first overtime didn't work and they had to do it again. Uh, the race was won in overtime. So that made uh, people go from being time and a half to double time at that point. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I read, uh, I read something. Um, the first one, I think, was twenty cars, 
triggered, as you say, by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. But Kislowski, Brad Kislowski, refused to uh, blame uh, Ricky for that one. He very much blamed um, the rookie William Bryan, uh, Byron uh, in uh, for, for throwing a block on him. And he said, you know what? Looking back on it, I should have wrecked him. <laughs> he just threw a block on me and Ricky was giving me a good push and we had nowhere to go. I mean, this is a problem with restricted plate race, perennial problem with restricted plate races, Dex, is that it is all so close that you only need someone, two or three cars further up to do something a little bit out of the ordinary or get a little bit squirrely in sideways somebody checks up somebody else has given them a bit of a bump draft and then all hell breaks loose and that's exactly what happened and it was the second yellow was the big one and it it took out probably a third of the field if not more and ultimately we finished the race with half the field running uh you know it was it, it it i simply don't know what the solution is they're not going to change it's they're going to continue no. to do this that the obviously they went to this because they didn't want cup cars on on super speedways running at 220 miles an hour or whatever they would which is obviously what they would do but i'm not and i think that's almost a safety for the crowd as much as anything else but it, i'm not sure you know having larger crashes at slightly lower speed <laughs> uh is the solution it's Granted, it's kind of it has become a staple and people like it. I will say about restricted plate races, John, they've become such a lottery that I really, I, I, I have a major problem with Talladega having its second race during the chase. Yeah, because what it's done is, in, in some respects, you're trying to you know clear the decks for everybody to, uh, to 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 be able to compete for this, and and yet you throw in this insane wild card, which could which could change a season oh, in the blink massive. of an eye. Massively. Yeah. Um, the other the other point that came up from particularly that class with William Byron, uh, he is the reigning Xfinity Series champion. But as we've discussed before on this program, Xfinity and Cup cars aren't exactly the same anymore. So he's still relatively inexperienced in in the Cup cars. Uh, is that making a difference? Kozlowski was fairly uncompromising. He says, you've got a list of drivers who are making moves that are unqualified to make. They are unqualified to make. It causes big uh, big wrecks. I, I mean, does, is the fact that the Xfinity cars are different enough now from the Cup cars? Does that mean jumping across when you when you're a up and coming driver? Does that make it a bit more difficult? I don't think so. It's not like these guys don't get an enormous amount of track time uh, uh, for practice, uh, particularly uh, at the uh, at the super speedway. So mm. I, I'm not sure I buy that. I I I, I would always suggest that. Keselowski is is very very happy when he's complaining about somebody and does love <laughs> does love to have a little bit of a moan and love the sound of his own voice. So I'm 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 not I'm not fully sure. Uh, I'm not fully sure about that. Uh, one quick thing: testing. They're testing at the uh, uh, the the cup cars are testing on the Charlotte Roval this week. Uh, yeah, and to be honest, having looked at that track. It reminds me of, of uh, you know, a, a middle-aged man who's having a bit of a midlife crisis and decided to rest. Oops, sorry, nearly got, uh, nearly got you lost you there for a second. Dex, stand by one second while I get you back. Uh, that's not what I wanted to happen. Right, go ahead. Sorry, a bit reminds you a bit that, of a middle-aged man. 
Yeah, it's it's it 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 reminds me of a, of a middle-aged man, the clothes of a middle-aged man uh, going through a bit of a midlife crisis. They're they're unnecessarily tight, and uh, and that's absolutely ah. the case with the with the Charlotte Roval. I, there, it just I look at the course and I think they they had a blank sheet of paper and they built this absolutely ludicrously tight. It's it's not much, you know, wider or or it has the, all the characteristics of. Of a uh, of a go kart track, mm. it, it reminds me. Have you ever seen the go kart track at Lanier Speedway? Yes, uh, yes. Uh-huh. That's what it. It, it kind of reminds me of. It's, no way. it's got too slightly too many hairpins, and uh, I'm 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 not sure uh, who was consulted when it was being built. But I, but and that's another track, by the way. Another track that is in the chase. That is mm. that. That's the first road course that's going to be in the chase. And again. We, we we're in this situation where effectively you might have, with the amount of yellows that are going to be caused, you might have two tracks that really do fall under the absolute lottery uh, out of the ten races, uh, which is which is a, uh, I'm not sure how wise that is, but but the, the, again, what would I know? Uh, the uh, the other bit of uh, news I want to talk about, and actually it, it involves Xfinity as well, um, is the Toyota Supra. Now, the Toyota Supra, it comes out in 2019 as a streetcar. It shares platform with the new BMW Z4, which I think is due at the end of this year. We haven't really seen uh, a full set of pictures of the Supra, although the BMW looks absolutely superb. But we've now seen some pictures of the two-door Supra Coupe that is going to run in the Xfinity series, which is sort of the second second division of uh, of NASCAR. Um, it seems to have uh, the nose of the TSO 50. Um, headlights, I'm not sure where they've come from. Uh, the back end from somewhere else. It looks like something that's been made. I, I'm sure the road car will look lovely, but the Xfinity car does look something that's been made with the bits that were left over from a couple of Airfix kits. It's not it's, the bonniest it, car, is it? It looks like it was made by by a committee of people from the Legion of the Blind. It's a, it's terrible. It's a, te- it's it's, it really is a, a fix that can't possibly please anybody. And I am aghast at the idea that somebody at Toyota signed this off because it's just, it's a rotten looking. It's awful. And now, for those of you who may not be fully uh, aware of this, the. The, the one of the the selling points of of the Xfinity series was that that several years ago now that they they uh, built cars that had uh, styling cues that very much leaned on their on their road going counterparts. So yeah. we had they brought in the uh, uh, the Mustang for Ford and uh, the Camaro, Camaro for uh, for yeah for GM. And Toyota didn't really have anything that fitted that, so they were still obviously uh, uh, running it uh, uh, off the Cam- Camry. And uh, so it was decided. Hey, we've got the new uh, uh, we've got the new Supra coming out. Let's do that. So they they put effectively a Supra esque front end on the car, but the rear just looks like the rear of a 
Dodge or or any other stalker. Well, we, we, what we should say, Dex, is that one of the things about Xfinity is it's a spec chassis design as well. So it's the same underpinnings as the Camaro and the Mustang that it races against. This is just a, a body panel styling exercise. But really, that's the best they could come up with? I mean, the first thing I noticed was how big the front splitter is. Second thing I noticed is how big and upright the, the rear aerofoil is, the rear wing is. But, I mean, that's that's part of the spec of of the series but the rest of it, it it's it doesn't look integrated to me I, I, and in fairness the the ford and the chevy camaro xfinity cars actually look pretty good you know what it looks like it looks like the bodywork they built uh, over the actual car when they go to test it in the mountains somewhere uh, and they, yes, it uh, in does. case it was seen in public yes it was uh, they built fake bodywork on it uh, it's it's now as i said i John, the, 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 again, uh, people clearly know better than I do, but but you have to ask yourself, are they trying to sell cars no. based on this? Why are they doing this? Why do they need to do this? It's not like the people who are going to be going out buying Supras are going to be swayed by by uh, the fake front end of a, of a 3,500-pound stock car. Uh, I think one of the telling and, things and this... here, Dex, is that Ford... Uh, are going to Mustangs in the Cup Series in 2019. Chevy Camaros uh, were introduced into the Cup Series, the Sprint Cup Series, uh, or the Monster Cup Series this year. Uh, yes. But Toyota are still going to run Camrys next year. Now, Camry is one of Toyota's biggest selling cars, and it always has been. Now, again, you and I could argue till the cows come home uh, whether being in cup actually sells one more extra Camry. I, I, I don't honestly know that that's their, their customer profile. But it's I think it's significant that they're not going to go to the Coupe against the Mustang and the Camaro in the Cup series. They're going to stay with Camry. So effectively, I, they'll run two different, and I've got chassis, yeah. yeah, I've got and different probably, in inverted commas there. Yeah, I think there's probably a bit of pressure from the series that, that they, want, they want Toyota to maybe to, to feel a bit more relevant uh, to to their to their road car offerings, I think that's probably what it is. It, it's just it just seems such a misstep, and it's it would not be the first of of many for for an organisation that that is absolutely struggling in every d- division, which is not a good sign for anybody. Because as NASCAR goes, the rest of US motorsport goes. Some, uh, uh, you know, which I'm employed within, uh, so uh, it's. How I mean, how is the situation with with the Cup Series? That I mean, the the big uh, litmus test that everybody talks about is TV numbers, uh, and they've they plateaued some time ago for well, for not NASCAR. Plateauing, John. They are they are. We've had thirty percent drops this year. We've had we've had a, a little spikes because Junior's got into the commentary box recently for NBC, and but we are we've had. We are having week on week record breaking lows for for it. The series is, yeah, it is. It is absolutely. It's struggling uh, to find an audience. John, I, I don't know if I've ever said this to you on air, but there's there's been some fantastic data uh, produced regarding all of the major sports and the median age uh, of uh, all of them, and. Uh, over the last 10 years and basically the median age of pretty much all the top sports 
has kind of stayed where it is uh, over the last decade, whereas NASCAR's median age has effectively uh, increased almost uh, by 10 years over the 10 years. What does that tell you? It tells you that the same people are still watching yeah. and and new people, the young audience that they want are not. Nobody's coming at in that... at the bottom effectively, yeah. which is exactly the opposite of what we've got in, in endurance, in sports car racing. All right, it's it's a non-scientific poll, but just looking at our audience figures, at, uh, at the people who interact as well and who are actually becoming a part of the community, it's quite clear to me that we have got people coming in at the bottom, which kind of belies this idea, Declan, that youngsters have got no attention span. They don't want to watch things that drag on for hours. I'm not sure that that is true. I think if it's presented in a way that they can get something out of, if there is timing and scoring, for example, on the web, if there's second and third screen experiences, if they can carry it around with them, on their smart device, or if they can consume it when they want, if they can't do it live, I, I, I think people are prepared to sit down and, and, and make a commitment if the product and the quality thereof is, is good enough. Yeah, I think it also speaks for people's love of technology as well. I think mm, the true. more that our sport can, can, can wow them with new technology, uh, I think that's going to bring people in. And, that's, and that is absolutely not stock car racing. No, you know, you can't four or five years ago, you know, celebrate. Woohoo! We've got uh, electronic fuel injection, uh, you know, and think that that's that's an advance. Like, well, well, I mean, the sad thing is, and we've talked, John, we've talked about this over a beer before. The sad thing is, the technology in the at the race shops of the big oh, organizations is mind blowing. I know so. you, talk to, you talk to Sam Collins about this. He, I think, he'd rather. He'd rather go to a, a stock car factory uh, and, and look around at what they're doing than almost anywhere else. Well, my favourite said- stat, and you've heard me say this before, is think back to what a lot of people think was the glorious Formula One engine years, revving at 18,000, 19,000 RPM. Well, there's a lot of people who used to work in Formula One engine builders at that time who went to Charlotte uh, in North Carolina when things started changing and there were fewer engine suppliers. And the reason for that is because of the design of the V8 and because it's a such a short-stroke engine, even revving at 7,500, 7,500, 8,000 revs, the piston speeds at that lower rev range in a NASCAR engine, in a stock car engine, are somewhere the same as they were at 17,000, 18,000 in Formula 1. So, you know, it's, the technology perhaps you can't see and the attention to detail perhaps you can't see in in cup racing and in stock car racing. Your original question when we were talking about the Supra is, why are the manufacturers in it? Question mark. To sell cars? Question mark. Well, are there any more to sell cars? Or is it about the brands on the cars? Do Does NASCAR, does stock car racing still sell cars it's a great question i I will say by the way on that very subject with eric jones eric jones is in a remarkable position next year uh it clearly sells tools because uh stanley stanley black and decker uh recently acquired craftsman and they have signed up for a full season 36 race season for for jones for next year with gibbs and that is almost unheard of in the paddock now for anybody to have a single uh, sponsor, a single sponsor for the whole season. So it's still 
it's still selling product and shifting and it's still working as a business to business tool and and, a, and, a, and an entertainment tool but yep. but whether it's selling cars is is a really really uh you know what i listen to a lot of radio and i listen to a lot of sports radio uh i hear a lot of commercials for uh things like uh things uh like the sunoco and their their oils and fuels and how they help stock with stock cars i don't hear don't hear ads for uh, Chevy or Toyota or Ford, particularly uh, well, uh, bringing up their stock car heritage. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, we've got onto a different subject here uh, and one that could probably, we could put a program together on and its own. But you tend to hear the cars being referred to as the Joe Bloggs Racing uh, M&M's Ford. And, and actually, the, the car name, the manufacturer of the car, or at least the badge that's on the car, is actually the last thing that comes on. It, it tends to be team, major sponsor, or major sponsor team, and then the car name. So you've got to ask yourself the question, is, you know, other than them putting, I suppose the big manufacturers still put money in. Um, it's been a while since we lost um, uh, Dodge uh, a wee while ago, but... But, you know, we, we've still got uh, Chevrolet, Toyota and Ford. But I presume they still put money in. Therefore, they still, uh, in some in some ways, are, sorry to use this word, leveraging. Uh, um, they're still exploiting their involvement in the sport. Well, they've got to be, John, because just look at what was on the side of the, of the number 20 mm. Toyota uh, that Eric Jones brought to Victory Lane on Saturday night. It was buyatoyota.com. So, yeah. Uh, the cynic in me says Gibbs didn't have any other sponsors, and uh, and this was uh, this was a, a thank you to to the people who are actually investing in the team. Uh, it's a it's in a weird weird spot right now. I think ultimately, John, we have a, a small number of people who uh, own the fra- what well, they are their their franchises. They're not called franchises, but effectively are franchi- franchises. Franchise the team license, for want of a better phrase. Uh, there are a smaller number of people who are actually uh, able to leverage that properly, whether through sponsors and, 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 and that's back to your original point that we've eight winners this year. And I think the number of winners that the, the, any of the 43 guys can win uh, days are long gone. It's, it's, it is very much uh, uh, a, a, a hegemony mm-hmm. of a very small number and it's not that's not going to change next weekend uh, it's kentucky uh, that's on nbcsn uh, 7:30 eastern uh, can anybody stop kyle bush he is the man who has been imperious there uh, in recent times in the in the 18 car uh, hard to know you you do think uh John, he's a favourite pretty much every time he steps in the car, and they've got so much momentum, and uh, he's just uh, you'd you'd like to think uh, somebody will beat him uh, there, but, but there are there are cars and tracks and and literally chassis that drivers love that they will literally roll out for a race, and then they know you know when they come off the truck, and I, and I, I kind of get the feeling that that Bush has got one of those literally one of those go to chassis that that that's all. <laughs> That was on the way to the track there while they were at, while they were competing at Daytona, and uh, and uh, we will see. And, and we we have uh, we have eight races to go before the uh, before the race for the chase for the cup for the thing starts. And uh, uh, 
I think probably not a great deal of drama before we get there, in all no. fairness. My big question is whether Jimmy Johnson will get in or not. I mean, he's in there on points at the moment. I think he's probably uh, he's going to have to uh, win a race, and he hasn't looked like winning a race uh, this year, to be honest. Dex, thanks for joining us. Um, it's getting down towards the exciting part before the playoffs, and we'll have you back again in the next week or so to chat again here on Midweek Motorsport. Always good to uh, to hear your voice, and I, I suppose I'll see you at Lime, Lime Rock Park as well uh, in a couple oh, of weeks. I'm, I'm sure you probably will do, yes. Yes, looking forward to it. Cheers, mate. All right, cheers, man. Bye-bye. Right, time is pushing on. And I'm delighted to say that Richard Creel joins us on Midweek Motorsport. There's a huge story from Australian Motorsport this week, and I'll get to that in a moment, Creelsey. But uh, an announcement uh, in the early hours of Wednesday in Australia uh, that is dear to our hearts because of the Bathurst 12 hours. Yeah, good day, John. Good to talk to you as always. Uh, fantastic news. First official entries lodged for the race already in July. So. One of the earlier Fantastic. announcements we've made for a while, which is great given we're not racing for 206 days. Uh, yeah, two R Motorsport Aston Martin GT3s will be making the trip down from the Switzerland team have been winners this year in the Blancpain Endurance Series. As you know, they're a great outfit. Uh, they're going to be running two cars, one in Pro, one probably in Pro-Am or Am. They're not quite sure yet. That deal will come together. But cool to have those cars back. Aston's, as you will know, have had a good record at the 12-hour and that team's won GT4 in the past. They had the GT8 there once, which was very cool. And uh, Aston Martin's in other teams, um, Craft MV Racing. Remember Stefan Mooker at the end of the 15 race, barging his way through onto the podium. It was all very mm. exciting. So very cool. They've got a lot of fans here. I, I can't wait for that. Um, with respect, though, great news and good news, though that is, it's, it has been slightly overshadowed by something that came out a few days ago uh, in that uh, one of the real nice guys of, a lot of nice guys of Australian motorsport uh, has decided sort of to call it a day. And this is one of the things we need to get to. We're talking about Craig Andrew Lounge, Lounsey uh, to the uh, race car world. Um, what's the... What's the proper story here is he is he giving it up is he coming out a full time are we still going to see him doing some other stuff are we still going to see him being co-driving to people in the longer distance races in supercars what's happening uh, there's a lot of yeses to answer there uh yes um he is retiring from full-time competition in supercars racing so had a year to go on his contract with triple eight but he's having a really good season this year he turned around what was a very poor season last year. And last year was the first time in a decade that he didn't finish in the top five in the championship. So that shows how competitive and and relentless Craig Lowndes is. Um, So he, his wife, Lara, family decided that let's go out in a bang. So they're going out high. He's currently fourth in the championship. He won his first race in 18 months earlier this year. He's been getting pole positions. So he's at the very top of his game still. So they've made the call to hang it up. Um, what it means is he will continue to race in the supercars endurance season. Right. I would say at least for the next three years, if not more. Um, so there's a, a very, very good chance for him to win Bathurst another three or four times at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he will, the, I would the say. The Bathurst 1000, by the way. 1000. Yes. Correct. Uh, 
he will, which which is important to him, and that he re- would rather win that race than the championship. Yes. So he's already won it six times. His great mentor Peter Brock won it nine times. Um, the entire sport wants him to at least equal Brock if he can, because that would be one of the most Magic. emotional things we'd ever see. So there's a very good chance of that. Um, but I would suggest he will expand his racing outside of supercars and look for new things to do. The 12 hours are definite. He's had a long ambition to go and do the Le Mans 24 hour. Mm. So I would suggest that you might see him jetting over to France in the middle of June to have a crack at that. Maybe a world endurance championship campaign. I don't know. The sky's the limit when you're Craig Lowndes because you really can write your own check with someone with, with that credential and, and that amount of talent. A lot of people forget Creelsey in his early career. He was a very good single-seater driver, Formula Ford in, in very old machinery. He did uh, Formula 3000. I, I, if I remember rightly, he did a season where he was a teammate to a certain Juan Montoya. Um, well, that must have been tough for him. But, he's, I mean, he's, a, he's always been a good all-rounder and he's an all-round good egg as well. Yeah, lovely guy. In F3000, he drove for Supernova run by Helmut Marco mm. and was was one Montoya's teammate. He got beaten by one, but uh, everybody in Australia is of the understanding that there was some team politics involved there and maybe didn't get <laughs> no. the best shot at it. Do you think? I know, right? With, with Helmut, that's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, look, his, his career has been remarkable here. And just to put it into context for those that perhaps don't know supercars as well, or even Australian motorsport, in in the scope of our sport, he is our biggest name. Mm -hmm. So there are probably two racing car drivers that are Australian at the moment that you would consider a true household name, that even non-racing fans have a a working awareness of. One of them is Daniel Ricciardo, and the other one's Craig Lowndes. Mark Webber does, but obviously hasn't raced in Formula 1 for a couple of years, and the WEC doesn't have the kind of following here that Formula 1 does. So... Webb is probably up there as well, but current drivers, they're the two. So the sport is losing full-time its biggest name. It's an enormous impact that's going to follow from this because there'll be a big vacuum left in terms of who fills the Craig Lowndes void, and that's what everyone's talking about now. Well, and that's my next question. I appreciate we're getting close to time, but as the World Cup's on at the moment, I think we can have a couple of extra minutes going up on the big board at the moment because this is an important thing to discuss. Where is the next Craig Lowndes? Who, you can't have another one. He can't, you know, someone else has to step into that void in terms of his personality. Um, you can't just replicate somebody's history because that comes only with time. But where are the likely candidates in the current Virgin Supercar driver crop Creelsy that can develop into something like Craig Lowndes. You know, it's it's the same predicament that MotoGP would have been in four years ago if uh, Valentino Rossi had retired. He hasn't. He's gone mm. on four more years. It's given Mark Marquez the chance to develop, and I think they're in a better place now. Who's likely to, to do that same job then as far as Lowndes? Is there somebody, or do you think Lowndes staying on for the longer races will provide a bridge to allow them to sort of promote someone, and I mean that in all senses of the word, into mm. that same sort of role? Uh, there's, a, there's a yes to a lot of that as well, to be honest with you. Um, the obvious candidate to fill the void is the people's champion, and that's what Craig is, is Scott McLaughlin. And Scotty yes. has been in amazing form in the last two years, driving with um, Team Penske over here. So he's driving with a great team. He's a young guy. He's friendly, he's laid back, he's relaxed. So 
there are there are a host of talented drivers in the series and even outside of it that can fill Craig's position as a potential champion or a multiple champion or quote unquote legend of the sport in terms of success. That's not a problem. Um, if anything, his teammate has been more successful than Craig in the last decade in Jamie Winkup. Um, but it's it's the Lowndes fan factor. It's the fact that he's one of the few drivers that will stay back an hour after the race <laughs> signing autographs until he's got RSI. He's the kind of guy that smiles at every occasion. He He's been known as the smiling assassin because he's still a very aggressive racing car driver as well. Oh, but, yeah. Um, McLaughlin's probably the obvious candidate in terms of that style of... That's a hell of a... Hell of a good shout, Creelsea. I'm fortunate yeah, enough to but... have spent some time with Scotty McLaughlin and, you know, what therefore have taken more interest in his career because he's yeah. done other things as well. He's got more strings to his bow and he's very down to earth, um, very honest character, wants to know about the wider world of motorsport, which is exactly the same as Lounsey, by the way. Mm. That, that's an excellent shout, mate. An excellent shout. Well, the only problem with Scott McLaughlin in the eyes of the Australian public is that he's a Kiwi. <laughs> so he's not actually an Aussie folk hero. He'll be a New Zealand folk hero. And we've had plenty of those in Greg Murphy and uh, even even Shane Van Gisbergen. Um, but but I, I think Scotty's the obvious one. But Scotty's been asked about that. And I, it's a lot of pressure to put on a young bloke in his early early 20s. Um, and Scotty said, I just want to be Scott McLaughlin. Um but but he genuinely loves mixing it with the fans. So from that side of things, he's probably the anointed one to be the people's champion of our sport. But I think there might be a few other younger guys still coming up through the ranks that can can make such an impact. But that that emphasises how difficult this void is to fill for supercars and Australian motorsport in particular. It's not just a, a supercars issue because Craig represents the sport so well. Um, but he is, he is the champion. He's been racing 21 years in supercars full-time, and he's still only in his mid-40s. So, you know, he's got a lot of racing left. But I think the fact that he'll still do the Enduros is a huge bonus, and it'll just make that Sandown Bathurst Gold Coast swing at the end of each year even more significant and even more important. Yeah, copy that, mate. Copy that. Uh, you've been on a bit of a break for the Australian Prototype Series because, of course, it's your winter uh, over there. When do we get the next race of that and when can we expect to hear your dulcet uh, tones on RS1 again? Yeah, Queensland Raceway in a couple of weeks' time. So mid-July is their next round on the little six-turn. It's all it's as close to an oval as Australian racing gets. So looking forward to that. They'll go back to sprint racing for that one and then Later in the year, they're at Phillip Island, which would be oh, pretty awesome. That's, if there's a track design for LMP-style cars, that's the one. So, uh, yeah, you'll have the next uh, Aussie Down Under Adventures of Richard Crowell coming up in a couple of weeks. Richard, short but sweet tonight. I know it's very early um, as you're joining us. Is it early or is it late? I can I can never remember. No, no it's very it's early. early. It's very it's early. <laughs> yes. Because just... remember, we do, we do this... Thursday morning early of the 12 hour which is how I kind of get my head around it oh yeah somehow that, that's that yeah. that's right which is why we left you right till the end so you could get up and have a little bit of coffee I great just... news on the liquid molly bath is 12 hours mate and I can't wait to to hear you later on in July and and to see you well I might not see you um but the rest of the team will see you because I think we can announce now that you're going to be across in the UK and be part of our team at Silverstone aren't you yeah, well, I'll be in the country, so I thought I'd drop in. <laughs> Just pop and buy. So yeah, expect, expect yeah. to hear Richard Krill's uh, 
commentary style at the home of British Motorsport, which I like that a lot, for WEC and ELMS for the uh, next round uh, or, or the August round of uh, those two races when he'll be joining the RS1 team there. I'm, in, I'm at VIR that weekend, but I hopefully will get a chance to have a little slurp with uh, with Mr. Creel while he's over in the UK. Creelsy, brilliant, mate. I'll let you get a cup of coffee and get on with the work of the day. Cheers, man. Mega. See you soon. And that's all about, we have all about, that's about all we have time for on this week's Midweek Motorsport with a little bit of overtime sanctioned by the responsible adult. Thanks to all the guests. Uh, next week, I'll be in Connecticut at uh, IMSA at Lime Rock Park. So join me then. No time to explain. Uh, the Lama's got a football match to watch on tape delay. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.